0: Once you understand how the magic trick is done, it ceases to be a magic trick. It no longer holds the same allure for you. So if you if you see what's actually happening, and you use like say ayahuasca, and really drill down, and you get to the root cause of what the issue is, once you know and you can address the root, the issue is done. Right? Th- there's no need for you to keep masticating and you know, just going over and over and over and over
1: it. I'm Luke Story. I want to break you off with some great information right now from our sponsor, Lifecycle. That's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L, lifecycle.com. Before I forget, your coupon code there is story15. But more importantly, I'm going to talk about these guys. They're based in Byron Bay, Australia, and they create some insane, extremely potent liquid extracts of turkey tail, lion's mane, shiitake, reishi, and cordyceps. And now they even have some uh, chaga, which I've been waiting for. So turkey tail is one of the best documented mushrooms in scientific research with a wide spectrum of beneficial properties. Turkey tail shows much promise in supporting the immune system and the gut. And in recent studies, lion's mane is renowned for providing support to the brain and nervous system. Don't tell anyone, but lion's mane is what I used in the old uh, microdosing stack. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Reishi has been used for more than two millennia in Asia and has been respectfully called the mushroom of immortality. This mushroom is well-known as a tonic for supporting general wellness and vitality. And I like to use the reishi for chilling out. It's very relaxing to the nervous system. So I like to use it at night before bed. And cordyceps can be beneficial for those wanting more energy. So cordyceps is the one to use for working out, getting pumped, getting hyped, getting jacked. Research has discovered that cordyceps may have the effect of increased oxygen uptake, supporting higher endurance level. And people have also found that cordyceps supports healthy sexual functioning, what? And essential for supporting natural immunity. And shiitake is not only a delicious edible mushroom, but it's also thought to hold many beneficial properties from immune system protection to supporting skin and hair growth. So if you want to check these out, here's what you do. Go to Lifecycle.com. Again, that's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L, Lifecycle.com. Use the code STORY15 and save yourself 15% off. These products are fantastic. I use them every day. Check it out. All right, I'm going to fess up and be honest here. I have another obsession. It's this company called Sovereignty, and they make two products. One of them is called Purpose, and the other one is called Dream. One wakes you up for daytime alertness and focus. I take one every morning, comes in a little packet, empty it out into some water, and uh, it lights up your brain, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's fortified with CBG, which is made from California hemp, And then it's got organic coffee berry and green tea extract, turmeric, and blueberry. Uh, You know, it's interesting. um, Blueberry has been proven, the extract, to increase nitric oxide by 230%, which leads to more arousal and better sex. Now, I'm usually not having sex in the daytime because I'm working, you know, unless it's a weekend or something like that. But uh, it works in the same way as Viagra anyway. I think it has a lot to do with just getting blood flow to your brain. That's why it's great for work. I use it when I sit down and podcast, etc. And then the Dream product is super chilling at night. In fact, they did a test on uh, a couple hundred people with the aura Ring, and 76% of them reported improved sleep while using this product, Dream. And I use it every night, except right now, because I just ran out of it. But it's... Uh, very, very cool product. Both of them are. They're made with fermented Chinese herbs and uh, they're just very unique. They taste delicious. They're all natural. They don't have anything funky in them. They pass my stringent test. So, again, the products are dream and purpose, and you can find them here. The site's called Sovereignty. So that's S O V E R E I G N T Y. Sovereignty.co slash loop. They don't have a discount, but they do have a money back guarantee that includes not only giving your money back, but buying you the supplement of your choice if you don't like theirs. Now, you can't beat that. So these are therapeutic doses of clinically studied herbs, Chinese and Ayurvedic. They work. They taste amazing. And you can find them at Sovereignty.co. Welcome to episode 300 of the Lifestylist Podcast. That is three times 100 episodes, number 300, folks. Thank you so much for joining me. And this is a special one indeed. It's called C60, the miracle molecule for biohacking pets, hair loss, EMF, and cancer with Ian Mitchell. And this is one of my all time favorite episodes. Our guest, Ian, is an absolutely brilliant researcher and quite the mad scientist. And, uh, as you'll find in this episode, he's also very spiritually minded. So he's one of those rare humans where spiritual wisdom meets scientific wisdom. Ian is a leading researcher of carbon 60 and holds many new patents in the space. He's working toward bringing quantum medicine to the forefront and using nanoparticles and many other modalities to enhance people's and pets' lifespans and, more importantly, health spans. This is a monster of an episode where we talk about some of the most cutting-edge health breakthroughs of our time. We cover a grip of topics, just a few of which include the incredible C60 molecule and its origins in ancient Ayurveda, how C60 reduces oxidative stress and supports mitochondria, how C60 is used to bring sick pets back to health and extend their lifespans. My, my dog loves it, by the way how C60 can regrow hair, the benefits of seropeptase and other enzymes for reducing inflammation and healing joints, the science of different oils like MCT and olive oil and how they potentiate C60, the benefits of NAD and NMN, how PQQ and CoQ10 increase ATP production, how C60 can help protect against radiation exposure, including EMFs, how EMFs stress the body and how ion avoids them in a sane way, the fact that the Earth's natural magnetic field is disrupted by wireless communications. The quantum level of mitochondrial communication. Whether or not setting your router to 2.4 or 5 gigahertz is safer. Why Bluetooth earbuds are not a great idea. The dangers of glyphosate and how its effect on mineral absorption is similar to EMF exposure. the Benefits of polyphenols and olive oil. How C60 is unique in that it's an electron donor and acceptor. Why I'm obsessed with blue canatine by prescriptions to upregulate electron flow. How to test nootropics to see if they work. The cognitive benefits of nicotine in small doses and the dangers of large doses. The science behind CBD and Kratom. Alternative cancer treatments including methadone and other surprises. Where spirituality meets science. How consciousness can overcome addictions. The future of quantum biology. And finally, the relationship between ice cream and heroin. Now, I know that's a lot, but that only covers a little of what was discussed in this episode. Now, before I forget, if you want to check out some amazing C60 products, visit c360health.com. Enter the code LUKE05 at checkout and save 5% off. If you don't know what C60 is, as you might have guessed from this intro, you're going to find out. And uh, I have a strong feeling that by the end of it, you're going to be like, whoa, where do I get some of this stuff? So again, it's c360health.com. The code is Luke05. Now, I could go on and on about how excited I am about this episode, but in order to keep this intro short, let's go ahead and take a deep dive into this mind-blowing conversation with Ian Mitchell. Ian Mitchell, you are on the Lifestyle Podcast. Yes, and jazzed to be here, man. Dude, I'm stoked. Yeah. I'm glad we didn't have to do this remotely. Thank you for traveling or fitting me in on your uh, schedule here in LA. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm stoked. Uh why is your name spelled like Ian but pronounced Ian?
0: Uh because it's phonetically correct. No, no. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's my mom uh is an artist, right? So she's a jeweler and a blues singer. And she's a
1: blues singer? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so, yeah.
0: When I was uh, when I was younger, I played in her band around New Orleans. And so yeah, she's a blues singer. And so uh she just as the young impetuous artist said It flows better. It's a stronger name. So, you know, and as a kid, you don't really argue. So hence it's Ian. Cool. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, for those uh, listening, never call him Ian because you'll be wrong. (laughs) So, dude... I feel like sitting down with you because we've we've chatted quite a bit, yeah. And uh, and I've listened. You haven't been on many podcasts, but I've listened to everyone I could find. Seriously, that's yeah. awesome. Thanks. Yeah. And well, I do that anytime I interview someone, I'll listen to two or three of their podcasts uh, to learn about them, get a sense of their energy, their knowledge base, but also to not ask the same questions that other hosts ask them. Because <laughs> why do that? Um, So I feel like we could sit here for four hours, five hours, and just deep dive on so many rabbit holes. So I thought the way I might conduct this conversation with you is to do almost lightning rounds because there's so many things that you have knowledge about that I'm curious about. And so um, I want to start the conversation with breaking down this thing called uh, Carbon 60 or C60, which is a popular supplement. Uh, In the anti-aging scene, one that I've heard of for years, but I didn't really know if it was legit. You know, so many things kind of come in and out of my awareness and um, it kept kind of reappearing and reappearing. And then I stumbled across your company and did some research on that and figured, because I always want to find the best of whatever thing I find too. (laughs) And your guys' (laughs) uh, products seem to be the best in show in terms of that. And I'm after the fact started to research it and I just find this particular you know i guess you call a supplement or molecule we'll find out what the hell it is uh, i find it to be one of the staples in my routine now and it's yeah. just become a thing my body just like likes this but i don't exactly know what it's doing so that'll be the first thing we touch on but before that just kind of give the audience a breakdown of like who you are and what what your deal is cuz i see you as this mad scientist wizard but I really don't know officially what it is that you do in your lab back in Oklahoma. Uh,
0: mad scientist wizard. That's, that's, okay. that's actually even the guys that work in the lab kind of use the moniker of mad scientist because a lot of what I do is uh, very different and there's, you know, and we've talked to, so you know, that I'm working on tons of different stuff. We've got, you know, uh, C360 health is like the, the main company I work with, but I do a lot of consulting gigs and other, and other things. So I'm always tinkering with something and i and i actually have a couple of different labs so it's uh yeah i work on you know like the crazy stuff like concrete and weird things and you know trying trying to make a difference honestly yeah it is kind of a mad scientist because whatever i think is going to move the needle and benefit humanity as a whole uh you know not not to sound too much like a pageant but you know i re- that's really how i'm driven Is i actually want to make a difference so
1: and what's your background and training Um, let's see. Well,
0: I had a full ride to study chemistry. I studied chemistry. I studied jazz performance with Ellis Marsalis, uh, UNO, um, and then just a lot of applied research. And I've honestly pretty much anything that intrigues me. I have sort of an agile mind and I I just like learning things. You know, there was a time when I really was into architecture. So I studied architecture and designed a bunch of buildings. And so there's a, you know, a slew of things around Austin that, you know, I actually designed. Oh,
1: really? Yeah.
0: Wow. Quite a lot. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's just, it it is, it's truly, it's, uh, it's all related, right? You know, I mean, it's, this is sort of our planet. So, and I kind of wanted to get my fingers wet and dip into a lot of different things and see how things function. And for me, a lot of that's, it's patterns, right? So, Chemistry and music, people find them to be dissimilar. To me, they're actually incredibly similar because it's all recombinant patterns, right? So you look at tones or you look at, you know, different atoms or you know, how they interrelate. And you can usually force some sort of reaction. But you know, I've I've probably prattled on too much about you know the elegant solution because that's what I'm always trying to do. It's like when you're improvising, whether it's with compounds or whether it's with music. You can you can crush things together and they don't necessarily gel and sound good and they're, they're not harmonically relevant, right? But then you can also take that and expand on it. And once you have enough of a, a general knowledge base about how things actually move, you can figure out the elegant solution, right? You want a resolution that does what you're trying to do and conveys what you're trying to convey. So in the case of like carbon 60, what I was trying to convey was something that would benefit biological systems, right? How, how it would enhance cellular functioning. So I've done multiple things. Um, I've worked with lots of guys on it. I have you know, a bunch of patents in the space. And to date, I still think actually uh, our company is the only company that's done clinical trials to to suss out any of this. And it's because you know we started in 2014 with you know doing research and formally doing it. I had actually been taking it since 2012. And I, when I first read this report that came out in 2012 on lifespan extensions. I thought, man, this is interesting if this is legit. So I really drilled down and I bought all the equipment I needed to do it and started taking it in 2012 and then playing with it and making different combinations of it. And then we actually started the company in 2014. And we spent uh, three and a half or th- two and a half years, rather, uh, actually just researching before we did any product. We didn't sell anything until November of 2017. And so we started at the beginning of 2014. But in the meantime, we did you know, two full clinical trials and did a ton of research and started, you know, two and a half patents, which then became three patents, which is now four patents. And, you know, so we've got patents on C60 as it relates to uh, the stopping the metastatic spread of cancer and how it enhances biological function. And so that kind of tying it back to my approach to it, it's it's all, you you start with an end in mind. So in the case of how do you enhance biology? Well, you go back to the basics. So in this case, I was looking at energy production systems and that's all mitochondrial functioning, right? And so if you want to address mitochondrial function, you can address it a couple of different ways. A lot of people address it like NMN or NR uh, or NAD um, where you're basically, you're doing NAD precursors or straight NAD and you're trying to elicit a different response in the electron transport chain, basically amp it up, which is kind of akin to putting a larger motor in something and getting a response. And that's, that's a phenomenal approach. I actually do that every day. You know, I take 2.4 grams of NMN every morning with 2.4 grams of resveratrol. Yeah, it's like...
1: <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, and there's a-, there's
0: a reason for that, actually. If you, if you read all the studies on that and you look at the best allometric scaling, the best results they got in all of the experiments that I was able to find when I allometrically scaled it from the rodent models to human models, the perfect dose was about 2.4 grams for my body weight. So, which sounds like a, a lot and, and it is admittedly, but, uh, you know, I'm a big guy and it, it seems to work well. And so that I, I agree, amping up the system, good idea. But also it's kind of like if you were trying to redesign a car, right? You, you're not just looking for things to put a bigger motor in to make it go faster. You're also looking at uh, eliminating inefficiencies. And in the case of carbon 60. Initially, people didn't realize that it would actually go into a cell, but when you combine it with a lipid, you can actually get it to move through a cell membrane and it finds its way in because of a, a difference in the charge. It actually pulls to the mitochondria and then goes in and it, it wedges itself in the mitochondrial membrane. And so it's a buffer against oxidative stress. So it's kind of like you're plugging the leaks. So
1: so, it's a really tiny molecule, then.
0: Yeah, it's it just just over. Yeah, it's uh, like one point one angstroms. How how very bi- T90.
1: How big is it compared to a hydrogen molecule? Uh,
0: not much bigger, actually. Just, really? Yeah, so it's
1: super tiny.
0: Yeah, it's very very tiny. You can fit hydrogen molecules in it, but yeah, it's huh. uh, not that anybody actually does that. But it just in terms of scale, right? You can do that. Yeah. So it's. Uh, it's a very useful molecule. Well, in its nascent form, I mean, it's not something it is naturally occurring, but not in large quantities, right? So you get just millions of a part, and say, charcoal from burning or things like that. But in the quantities that we're trying to use it to elicit a really. Intense biological response. You actually have to synthesize it in the lab. There is, however, as NASA found, a uh, a range of it that's like larger than twenty-seven times the size of Mount Everest. Way, way in outer space, distant from us. But I don't yet have a wormhole generator to get there to harvest C right. sixty. So, so, in lieu of that, we uh, you know we synthesize it in the lab. But it, it's a really cool thing because when you start using it in in the quantities that we're using it, in, you get all these different effects there's there's an old uh hindu tradition a thing called an agni ceremony and it was uh basically you take a, a shiva lingam um and you would put uh, a fire around it and you would take the ash the, the sacred ash i think it's called Bavudi. yeah yeah and uh you would pour ghee on top of the lingam and it would drain down onto the Bavudi. And people would then eat that as Prasad, right? Which is kind of like, you know, the, the leftovers after a holy ceremony. And the, the lore was that it would extend your life two cycles, right? Which is like more than 200 years. So your, your lifespan would have been over 200 years. And it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, like legends from antiquity point this out. But when you look at the actual science of that, you go, okay, so these guys took a lipid. And I know that ghee does it because I literally did it this week in the lab. You know, you can definitely bind C60 with ghee. We do it all the time. That's one of the things that I I use personally. And there's some people that I, I deal with that have a kind of a sensitivity to MCTs and also to olive oil. So every now and then, I'll whip up a batch of something just specifically with ghee for them. Um, and so these guys were doing that you know thousands of years ago as part of the ceremony and saying oh you know if you ingest this prasad you'll live this much longer and it completely lines up because what they were doing is they were negating oxidative stress inside their mitochondria and and increasing their uh, their mitochondrial efficiency off the charts
1: so that is that would you say then the the main net positive effect of C60 is in mitochondrial function
0: yeah my personal take, yeah, I think it is because you're you're able to buffer toxicity. I mean, it does a host of things, right? Because it's carbon, so it has a binding surface area that's far larger than activated charcoal, right? Because it's a perfect spheroid. It's a truncated icosahedron, so it's also known as a soccer ball, right? So it's got this very maximized surface volume. Um, so it binds to toxins. So it's renally and hepatically protective. So your liver and kidney are buffered against toxins. So like in the lab, if you, if you give it to a lab animal and then you try and knock them out with like CCL4, like carbon tetrachloride, um, you have to use a huge dose, but like more than double the normal dose because they just won't go down.
1: Really? Yeah. yeah. So if one was taking like the, the revive here for those watching on the video... I feel like whenever I have someone's products out, I'm like, it like, <laughs> feels like an infomercial. <laughs> but sometimes I forget to talk about it, or I want to like go, what's this thing that it says right here? And I'm actually going to do that because you have this Sera peptase. Yeah. So yeah. I want to get into that. But um, so if you're taking this Revive three, uh, uh, C60 product, is it going to act like activated charcoal and siphon out other stuff that you take with it, like supplements and things like that?
0: Not usually, um, not unless you take huge quantities of it because oh. there's there's sort of the, the pharmacokinetics of it, right? It goes in and it's going to stay for at least a couple of days. But we know that it actually, the majority of it goes out of your system pretty quickly. But over time, it builds up and it builds up in the mitochondria and it'll stay there for months and months and then years and years, depending on how long you've done it. So I've taken huge quantities of this stuff. I would imagine probably more than just about any other living creature. And you know, the intent was to put enough time on the clock that I could actually make a dent in things and and hopefully that's that's what's going to happen um, but it, it's interesting because this is like the that particular thing usually in the marketplace and in research circles everybody thinks of carbon 16 you have the maximum amount that you can solubize in, into say a lipid right um, this one is actually 1.2 migs per mil as opposed to 0.8 which is generally considered kind of like the the cap but it's not you know and people I don't think Took the time, like I spent about six to eight months researching oils because you've got, you know, 1% C60 and 99% oil. And then people were so focused on the C60 that I think they lost sight of the fact that, you know, the oil is a huge component. And some of the things were actually a little counterintuitive. Like there were certain oils that I thought the lipids would bond well, they didn't bond so well. Like um, MCT is, is great, caprylic acid is better, like brain octane. That's really great stuff. But you only get a fraction of it, right? So you get like, 0.35 0.35 to 4.0 uh, mix per mill. Um, olive oil, you get much more. You get usually on average about 0.8, but that's kind of the cap. Well, I didn't really think that was the uh, the stopping point, so we've actually taken it up. I think in one of our patents we have it up at um, 2.4 is and, it, and we actually in the lab have gotten it far higher than that. But people don't really believe it. I mean, we've had third party testing where they verify it because it's generally not thought of as something you can do but if you if you focus on the lipids and you actually say okay it's the process is the binding you know I mean not to be too terribly esoteric but there's you know the observer the observed and the act of observation so all things are important so you've got you know, what you're actually diluting into or solubizing into, and then you've got, you know, your, your compounds, but then the process is equally important. And so if you, if you take enough time and you really drill down, like a lot of guys were thinking like, Oh, you know, high polyphenol count is going to be really great. Well, as it turns out, high high polyphenols are great just in an olive oil because it's really beneficial for you. But if you want to get a really great response uh, and have a, a longer lasting effect from the C60, you don't want high polyphenols because it inhibits the binding capacity. So you have to negate some of that, and and a lot of that stuff is just proprietary that you know I worked out over years of doing it. But because the the study that I had referred to earlier was uh, this uh, fellow named Fathi Musa did in 2012 at the University of Paris, and it was a really brilliant study. Um, he was trying to do in like effectively an l d fifty lethal dosing where you figure out how much of this compound does it take to kill these animals and what they found was in in lieu of killing them, it actually gave them a ninety percent boost in lifespan
1: and so it was it was <laughs> overdosing them with with uh- yeah. Wow,
0: yeah, and it was weird too, because some of the things that stood out in the study is they didn't actually give it to them until they were all ten months old for for a Worcester rat, which you know is going to have a lifespan of about 26 to thirty two months, ten months old is pretty old you know it's about like you know kind of late 20s, mid 30s kind of range, and then they dosed them and then they didn't dose them uh, they only did it for I think seven months total, and then they stopped and they still had these really pronounced changes in longevity. But the, uh, the group that just got olive oil, so there's a control group with just water. They died off pretty quickly, as expected. Then a group with olive oil, they got a 30% boost in longevity. And I'm sure it's because olive oil is really good. You know, It's a uh, good long-chain fatty acid. It's got a lot of polyphenols inherent in it. So it elicits a lot of really beneficial effects. But the one with the C60, they got a 90% boost in longevity. And <laughs> I think that it, raised, it certainly raised my eyebrows. Um,
1: wow, these are rats?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And Ni- so 90%, 90% increase in longevity means they're living almost twice as long.
0: Yeah, that's right. So wow. I redid that experiment, but I used uh, P53 knockout mice, which are uh, they're the unfortunate tumor mice, You know, the ones that develop all the idiopathic tumors just all over their body. And so the spontaneous tumor formation, right? And you use them for cancer research. And they have about the shortest lifespan of any mammal that I could find that I could really you know, very clearly say, okay, these are the parameters and these are the mortality curves. And because people use them in oncology, there's so many tens of thousands of them, probably at this point, hundreds of thousands of them have actually been used that they have very well-defined mortality curves. So, you know, within a really tight range, when are these guys going to die? And so I was, I was looking for anti-inflammatory effects and some, you know, different, different effects, but what actually happened is I got a 93% boost in lifespan on those guys in looking for the anti-inflammatory effects with what would eventually become that and over the course of doing that they didn't develop tumors which was really weird so i did the first necropsy on the first mouse that died and um when i opened it up it had a femoral hemorrhage but i it had died obviously of a femoral hemorrhage but it it hadn't died of any tumor formation which was really weird so i thought well this isn't what I do, you know, I'm just doing this as a curiosity in the lab. I really wanted to do it quickly. I'll send it off to a pathologist. So the next time uh, one of the, the mice died, I sent it off to a vet pathologist, and they went through it, same thing, couldn't find any tumors. then the next one and the next one. And it was a small cohort. I think I only had six to start with, but uh, one was undefined. Uh, one had a small mass, but it didn't die from that. They basically they all died from old age. And they timed out at about 93%. And that was really early on. I mean, I've gone way past that now in terms of the effects I can elicit because that was just at a, a 0.8 MIGs per mil strength. And so now I'm at like commercially, we're doing 1.2, but in the lab, I'm playing with things like I said, you know, 2.4 and higher. Um, and I'm just trying to see how much I can push the bounds. You know? So
1: if you're giving the, if you're getting a 90 to 93% lifespan increase in rats and mice, what would be the, the relative dose for a human in terms of like I think when I do this, it's by the tablespoon. I probably do like mm-hmm. a couple of tablespoons a day, I'd say.
0: That's what I do.
1: Is that is that a
0: Yeah, that we, is actually a couple of tablespoons a day is akin to what they would be doing. Now they did very large doses, but they did them intermittently. They were doing the equivalent of like a cup of of C sixty olive oil. But it was only, again, it was at 0.8 mix per mil. So what, what was really eliciting the big response there, they didn't have it in the same degree. So kind of as I've worked on this and the the idea in my head has built you know, more and more uh, clarity around what's actually going on and I've drilled down and defined different things biologically, you can get the same effects with a smaller dose. But if you want to get a really pronounced effect, then you do that. Like this is actually patented because when I submitted it to the patent office, he got shot down the first time because they said, listen, you're, you're taking these different compounds that all have a history of being anti-inflammatory agents. So one plus one plus one equals, you know, plus one equals four, right? It's because it's four basic components. And they said, we're not giving you a patent on that. And, I said, but it's synergistic. So we did a bunch of testing, got a university to test it, and sent it back, and we showed that we got a 230 percent increase in the effective rates of uh, drops in inflammation and cytokine levels and things like that. And so once they saw that there was, you know, it, it wasn't just a one on or one plus one kind of a thing, but it was actually a very synergistic effect where it got a big bump. They granted the patent, and so but that was, you know, that was the threshold. Is I'm trying to figure out. How do you tweak things? That's why I take you know NMN every day. Is in the process of working on human biology and trying to figure out better ways to do that, and working on just mammalian biology in general. Um, what do you do, right? So you have to address both sides of the sine wave—the you know the the, tre- the crest and the trough—and and so that's what I'm trying to do, right? So I address one part of it by amping up parts of the electron transport chain, and then I address another part by diminishing the ability for oxidative stress to occur. And so at the end of the day, you end up with, uh, I, I would like to think, a more efficient organism. I mean, I can tell you, um, you know, uh, have you ever seen the Bulletproof product, Unfair Advantage?
1: Yeah. The PQQ yeah, and right. CoQ10. Yeah, right. I've, so. I now use uh, the Quicksilver Scientific. It's called the One.
0: Is that the the liposomal variety? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. That's shade stuff, right? Yeah.
1: Same. Same. It's got the PQQ and CoQ10. and. I think that's pretty much it in that. But
0: yeah, those are really great synergistically. And yeah. if you play with them, like I, I was doing testing to kind of see what effects I could elicit on ATP in the lab with those. And we were testing ATP levels, and you can get some pretty crazy numbers out. I think we we got a, a number that was literally a couple thousand, 3,313% um, exactly. Uh, a disparity in ATP production, which is sounds crazy, but the reality is, I just wanted to see how far you could push it. You you can't actually do that because you'll end up flowing so many electrons over the membrane that you'll tear the membrane and it will pop like popcorn. So you just, I mean, you don't you don't want to make something so efficient that when it moves in and picks up a little photonic energy, it actually just explodes. That's a that's a bad scene.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> oh,
0: that's great. It's totally doable, but it's yeah, I mean. Th- my way of thinking. I always kind of like see what the parameters are, right? You know, like what's the low end threshold, what's the high end, how much of a change can I get? And in that case, it was it was a big shift.
1: And that was working with CoQ10 and PQQ.
0: Yeah, CoQ10, PQQ, uh, and a couple of other compounds. We were we were actually thinking about producing like a, an energy formula for people, and at some point, I'm sure we'll do that. You know, it's uh, we've been working on a lot of other things, and you know, some of the the animal products have taken a little precedence, and. Uh, the revive and then we did a hair growth thing and some other stuff too. So there's there's just, that was actually just because my daughter was making fun of me. So that's,
1: that's why I want to talk about that in a bit too. Uh, On the, on the C60. So you've got improved energy production or ATP Mm -hmm. production because of the uh, effect that it has on the mitochondria. Right. And then you've got an anti-inflammatory response in general. Right. And is anti-inflammatory the same as, um, reducing oxidative stress? Do those go in hand in hand or are those two different things?
0: They're a little different, but there's there's definitely a correlation, right? So we did a bunch of testing and we showed in the in one of the clinical trials, we pulled a bunch of blood and did cytokine analysis, right? And so we showed that we were dropping all of the pro-inflammatory cytokines and increasing the anti-inflammatory cytokines across the board, which was which was pretty cool. And I'll I'll show you the graph. It's it's actually if anybody's curious, they can go to the webpage and look at it on uh, the C360 Health site because it's I'm, I'm sure the graph is up there because I bandied about that it was very cool and needed to be up there at some point. So um, they're, they're a little different, but they kind of go hand in hand, right? It's kind of like diet and exercise. Same net effect. You're, you're better off at the end of the day.
1: And then what about the, I've heard buzz about there being uh, like an EMF shielding side effect.
0: Oh yeah, there's C60? actually, yeah. How does that play out? Um, oddly, if you look at the studies, uh, there's a, a big, a really surprising shift in terms of your ability to handle radiation. Like oh, in one of the studies, they, they were giving uh, rats C60 and then they were hitting them with doses of radiation to see what the effects were. And they were handling uh, eight to 11 Sieverts of radiation in the group that was dosed with C60, which is a completely lethal dose. And rats were just rolling on, doing their thing. And it's, so it's in terms of, say, like uh, using it, f- it as a protective agent for you know, exposure to radiation, I would absolutely recommend it. And just EMFs in general, same thing. Um, I don't have a lot of data on EMFs specifically, but I do have a fair amount of data on the radiation and it, it's compelling. I mean, it's compelling to me. I'd be taking it anyway for the longevity effects. But you know, if uh, if things go horribly awry, and you know, I'm I'm going to eat some Fukushima fish, uh, I'd much rather have <laughs> <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, Fukushima, Fukushima sushi bar. I'd much rather have uh, some C60 in my system before doing that.
1: Yeah. In terms of overall health, uh, being in the scene that I'm in and interviewing so many people about health, uh, I've grown a little bit bored with the right diet conversation. Um, I just interviewed Paul Saladino, the carnivore MD, who makes a very compelling case for just eating meat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nose to tail. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but other than that, I don't really do, I don't have a lot of conversations about like the perfect diet. You know, many people want to be plant-based or vegan, some are mm-hmm. paleo. I just, to me, the, like the real thing that we should be talking about i just want to see your perspective on you know how those weigh um you know diet and lifestyle versus blue light exposure and emf exposure and the reason that to me i mean unless you're eating just the really shitty stuff like gmos mm-hmm. msg seed oils canola oil um, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, aspartame, like just the low hanging fruit of like the top ten, just absolute poisons, pesticides, glyphosate, right? Standard
0: American diet. Yeah, yeah.
1: It, it's like as long as you're off that stuff and fluoridated water, which I actually want to talk to you about <laughs> fluoride. Right? If you got, and I know a lot of people don't have that stuff out of their diet, but let's just say that's out of the diet. To me, it's like, um, I have this passion about EMFs and the blue light thing because. I'm sure many people that listen to this show regularly are really sick of this story, but it's just, it's part of my like hero's journey of, you know, 20, 24 years ago, most now, when I was 26 years old, I got sober. I started detoxing and doing saunas and colonics and became a vegetarian and got into herbalism and yoga and breath work and all the things. And progressively over these years, I've gotten healthier and healthier and healthier. And then, you know, found out about the, the anti aging stuff. And now what's called um, ubiquitously biohacking before there was no name for it, before Dave Asprey <laughs> came along. You were just a health nut, you know? Right. That um, I've been so into this stuff. And then I moved in this apartment prior to this one and I didn't know I was living under two cell towers for three years that were about 100 yards from my bed. And I my health was just shit. And I mean, I'm doing like, you know, ozone, 10 pass. I mean, I'm doing PEMF. I went and did 40 years of Zen. I mean, I'm doing, you know, neurofeedback. I'm going... <laughs> I mean, I don't know anyone other than maybe like a Dave Asprey or Ben Greenfield that like was as committed to just yeah. being next level as me. I'm probably close to that level.
0: And it was still just and hammering you.
1: Yeah, I was sick as shit all the time. I was just constantly had colds, flus, nausea, uh, headaches, insomnia, brain fog, uh, vertigo, just... My eyes went bad. I had to start wearing glasses. And I, I didn't know that these cell towers were there. Now, Ow. later I discovered them, moved into this house because I got no cell service here. I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> I was like, no cell towers? And the like, pendulum sold. swings. Right? <laughs> um, now, of course, I have to have Wi-Fi on in the goddamn house you know, because um, there's no cell service. But anyway, uh, and then all these symptoms started to go away and I'm still leading that same lifestyle and yeah. haven't added a lot. I mean, I've added the C60 and a few other key things that are kind of part of my daily thing. But that was a huge eye-opener for me because I've got this really clean diet. I'm doing all the biohacks and I'm totally sick just because I'm living in that field of radiation and essentially ah. getting radiation poisoning. So at that point, I was like, that matters more than what you're eating.
0: Well, I mean, it's like saying, oh, I've got a fantastic diet, but I carry an IV drip filled with glyphosate. But other than that, I mean, if you're in an environment that's constantly toxing you out and that that causes, I mean, electro stress is a completely legit and real thing. And it's very easy to test for and see. It's just not very popular because it kind of goes in, in opposition to what we're doing culturally, right? We're rolling out 5G and we're looking at all this and everybody wants to be more connected and electronics take a, a larger and larger percentage of our time. The, the downside is, biologically speaking, we haven't evolved with that. There's so much calcium ion channel dysregulation. You can completely screw somebody up just using EMFs. Uh, and, and anybody who thinks that, I mean, just look at a microwave, right? You're simply oscillating hydrogen atoms. And you can get things to boil with it just by isolating it at 2.4 gigahertz, right? So once you hit the right frequency, you can make things happen. And a lot of the frequencies aren't tested for people, right? They're not, they could do things that would make them biologically beneficial, but they don't. And there's no real impetus because you know, uh, the population is large and people don't complain. And in mass, I don't think we really think that clearly. It's unfortunate, but it's just the reality as I see it is that kind of stuff is going to go away. Those companies have uh, a lot of lobbying dollars and can put up a cell tower wherever the heck they want it. And I mean, I use my phone, but granted, I suck down C60 like it's going out of style to try and, to try and buffer myself from that. And then I you know, sleep with my cell phones away from me and, and or off so that I'm not you know, getting the bleed over from the, uh, the transmissions. And I, you know, I'm not a big fan of remote metering because those things put out ridiculously large pulses when they're you know, in test mode and things like that to, to communicate. And it, it is that, uh, that EMF stress will damage you. You know, we've people don't really think about it, but we've we've evolved in a Schumann resonant cavity, right? So the, the entire place we're in, and all of our cells have evolved from the time that we were, you know, single-celled organisms to now, it's been oscillating at 7.84 hertz. And granted, there's a little bit, bit of change over time, but we are not just, you know, a meat suit. I mean, we're electrical, we're chemical, we're magnetic, we're photonic. You know, mitochondria communicate photonically, right? They do little femtosecond pulses of light. And when you, look at, when you look at bacteria, and my hypothesis is when you look at mitochondria, you see in bacteria, there's a function called quorum signaling, where things reach a certain concentration and they start communicating across larger distances. And everyone just assumes that it's a chemical function. I actually don't think so. And based on some data that I have, that I recently did some experimentation in the lab at one of the universities or universities I work with, um, and... The results were weird. I mean, truly very weird. I need to run the experiment again in triplicate. And I showed it to a friend of mine who's a professor I work with, and he said, "Strange data." But what it what it actually showed is there was some transference of information just from photonics, which really isn't surprising since we know that's how mitochondria can communicate. But all of those systems, as a as a human, you're a combination of all those things. You're not just a physical organism, right? I mean, you wouldn't want to put your head in a microwave. Everybody knows that that's a really bad idea. Well, it's just waves. It's you can't see it. How bad can it be? You know.
1: Yeah, I think that. And it's funny that most Wi-Fi routers also transmit 2.4 gigahertz, the same as a microwave oven. Yeah, not such a good thing. There's, well, there's a there's a debate. I want to see actually your take on this. Some people say that if you if you set your router at five gigahertz, that it's less disruptive to your biology, and some say that 2.4 is less. I tried to change to five on my router mm-hmm. because more people say 5 is better but then the signal sucks and nothing works it's just not a strong enough signal for whatever reason what would be your take on those two and i know you're not a you know an engineer physicist but just from your knowledge base yeah
0: no it's it, actually after i'm done with working on all the biological puzzles i i want to play with the next thing is going to be energy systems that's i think that'll be the next big thing that makes a dent and uh, so i'm not but at some point hopefully <laughs> Hopefully, I'll have enough knowledge to At, at least be conversant in those realms. Um, I, I would, I would be inclined to think five would actually be better for you, um, just because you're going to miss more in terms of your fundamental makeup. But again, I don't have a ton of data on it. I just kind of run based on how I feel, you know. Right. And so that's actually that's how you know the routers set in our lab. Um, so you know, anybody's guess right now without all the data to support it, but. I'm kind of inclined to go on my intuition that that's probably just a a better thing.
1: Could you explain the uh, calcium gated channel deal on the cell? Because I parrot that without really understanding fully what it is. I understand that you know there's a... Let me say my version of it is that your cell has an electric charge and Mm -hmm. EMFs disrupt that charge and allow calcium to flood into the cell uh, in an amount that would never happen in nature and that disrupts the you know the balance of magnesium, potassium, and minerals in the cell, and then that wreaks havoc on the rest of you. But then, then I lose the plot. Is that close? No,
0: yeah, that, that is actually the the basics of it, it. Think of it think of it as a as an incredibly balanced system, right? Like you know the perfect Rube Goldberg, where you push one thing here, the marble rolls down, you know, shoots the balloon over, that blows the the signal up to the next thing. Everything is really in balance, and that's that's why. It concerns me when, when you start doing something like if you have, I mean, you'll I have the little earphones and I don't have earpods uh, or earbuds or whatever they're called these days because that doesn't strike me as a really healthy idea.
1: Oh, putting Bluetooth on either side of your yeah, brain? Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, man. I, yeah, I saw that and thought, whoa, that's that's not the best idea. Um, You know, so I actually still have the ones with the cord and I'm perfectly happy with that because I don't mind little bitty bitty tiny magnets by my ears moving a membrane, but I don't want something that's going to disrupt the flow because when you those charges really don't take a lot to change the gating, right? So if you've got everything in a perfectly balanced system and then suddenly you put a big magnet next to it, it shifts the ability of those gates to open and close. And, and it does, it causes that dysregulation. And, and all of those different compounds like magnesium and potassium, they're all critically important at very, very tiny levels right so when you look at the way a cell functions it is brilliant i mean it truly is it's just like this uh i don't know perfectly balanced beautiful dance i mean everything is in in time and in tune and anybody who's looking at that from the scientist perspective and isn't just in awe i don't know how you could do that because i am constantly in awe of how amazingly well devised, devised and created we are it's just it's a brilliant system but we can throw it off and, and we do with all sorts of things. Like oh, one thing as an aside, you mentioned glyphosate. Glyphosate's really bad, right? Because it's a mineral chelation agent. And so it's it's almost like Agent Orange from you know back in the Vietnam era. And it's really molecularly, it's very similar to that. Um, but it dysregulates your mineral absorption and the same thing. So all of the problems that you see from glyphosate, you can elicit the same effects if you use EMFs. It's just... Which way are you going to push the object, right? Are you going to move this nail across with your finger? Or are you going to drag a magnet above it? You're doing the same the same thing. You're modulating something chemically or you're modulating it electrically. And there's there's really no difference. Um, on that note, since I know you're always doing things to, like to benefit your health, I suck down a ton of uh, sauerkraut juice with C60 because yeah there were some really good indications and studies that I found that those two things in combination would negate glyphosate and take it out of your system what yeah and most things don't actually do that yeah wow and it, and it wasn't just specifically c sixty I do that because it's got the enhanced you know surface volume and binding area but but it was activated charcoal did the same thing so sauerkraut uh, juice with activated charcoal seemed to have a, a pretty big effect
1: that's really interesting yeah. does it have something to do with the acidity of
0: the I don't know huh, I, ha- I haven't really had time to drill down on it but I thought I, I read the study and, it, and the data was pretty clear and they did it in cows and I thought well okay bovine study this seems pretty legit so I thought eh, I'm just going to go ahead and do that You know, <laughs> I'll put it on the board to figure out how it works later but you know I like sauerkraut I like carbon
1: That's good to know because I always have some sauerkraut in there and it sits in there for a long time because I forget to eat it. When you have the munchies, at least for me, and open the fridge, it's never like, you know, I'm really craving some sauerkraut. (laughs) It's like, that's the last thing. So I I, I probably have like five half full sauerkrauts or some kind of fermented vegetables at any given time because I just forget about them in favor of whatever. Uh, Another thing about the... (laughs) C60, I wanted to ask you if for a guy, you know, relatively my size, your size, yeah. perhaps a little bit less for someone smaller in stature, of course, um, say for my dose of two tablespoons a day is a good solid dose if I can afford it. Um, is is there any downside to consuming that much olive oil every day?
0: No. <laughs> there there really isn't. It's actually incredibly, I mean, look at the Mediterranean diet. There, there are actually a lot of benefits to it. I mean, if you look at some of the kind of the pundits lately, like, um, Stephen Gundry and some of those guys, there's actually, there's a lot of benefits to consuming that. And a lot of that uh, kind of relating to what I was saying earlier has to do with polyphenols because polyphenols are really beneficial. I mean, you want lots of different color veggies because you get a broad spectrum of polyphenols in your diet and we don't really have that many sources of them, but olive oil, if you get a really good olive oil that has a very, uh, strong peppery aftertaste, that's because the polyphenol count is really high. And so no, no downside to it that, I, that I've ever seen.
1: And then tell me about why you put these other ingredients <laughs> in here. So we've got the uh, lipofullerene, which uh-huh. is the actual C60 right. molecule that looks like a little soccer ball. Yep. And then we've got, I've not heard of this. Is this an enzyme, the sera
0: yeah, seradiopeptidase.
1: Seradiopeptidase, god that is hard to say. Now, I've taken serapeptase. Same thing.
0: It's a it's ah. a seradia E15 proteolytic enzyme derivative. So, and it's all it's silkworm enzymes, right? So you know mm-hmm. the serapeptase thing. And so the the reason for that is because serapeptase has its own kind of cadre of anti-inflammatory benefits, but you can't actually in general terms unless you're taking a huge quantity of it you don't really get it to where it's going because it degrades you know when it hits your gi tract stomach acid starts to break everything down it denatures the proteins cracks them and they don't they don't have the same response so in this case and, and we've done a lot of the testing that you run is called western blot analysis we've done western blot analysis to show that the proteins aren't broken, right? We didn't denature them. So and we did it in high, high heat environments up to ADC, and then very acidic environments to mimic stomach acid. Because what I was trying to do is create a buffer system so that I could get things to move into the body and into the body um, to where they needed to go. And and that's one of the things like serapeptase is great, but it was downgraded as uh from a drug to a supplement in Japan, uh, it's probably been, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. Uh, because they found that they couldn't get enough of it actually in the bloodstream when they would measure it, just enough of it wasn't there. So this bypasses that problem. It is actually, that because it's in uh, lipids? Oh, wait, well, it's it's actually the C sixty buffers it. So just oh. just lipids by itself help, but because it has that buffer against the the oxidation, um, because C sixty is interesting. It's all it's an electron acceptor and donor, so it can do both. So it creates this really great buffer for things to go into your GI tract so they don't get just whacked by stomach acid.
1: So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get really geeky here. For anyone listening that's not super geeky, forgive us for just going here, but I'm so curious. So uh, I'm really into the methylene blue, mm-hmm. which I understand to be an electron donor. Mm-hmm. And so I do these transcriptions, little uh, trochies that are called blue canotene. And They've got CBD, nicotine, caffeine, and methylene blue. They also oh, make one that's a, just pure methylene blue.
0: Wow, that'd be a hell of a synergistic combo. They're dope. That's, I'll, give you, I'll give you a couple. That actually, wow. Yeah. In, in what milligram ratios? The, uh,
1: two to five, I think, of each oh, or so.
0: Well, I bet that turns
1: your brain on. Big time. Yeah, it's my favorite. new My teeth are always fucking blue, <laughs> and I always want to put one in for an interview, and I'm like, I can't because I'm on video. You Luke know? is the smartest Smurf I've ever met. Yeah, it yeah. Turns, your, turns your mouth <laughs> turns your mouth blue. But it, I've I've interviewed the the uh, you know the formulator, Dr. Ted Ochikoso, just amazing, really great guy. I call him the Cosmic MD. Um, and so I started to understand a little bit about the electron donor thing. But I'm wondering if the C60, since it has the ability to uh, sort of shuttle in the serapeptes. <laughs> could you do a little dose of the methylene blue mm-hmm. donor? And yeah, get-
0: I actually keep methylene blue in the lab. I've been playing uh, with it for a while. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I would. I would highly recommend that you do that. Cool. Yeah, because uh, it's one of those things. Because I I work with nootropics all the time, right? And I've tried a lot of the things that I I never really felt right enough. So I was always kind of trying to push myself and get sharper and sharper. And so I guess it's been seven or eight years ago. I decided I was going to crack the puzzle, kind of like the you know the the NZT thing from Limitless, right? I wanted to figure out how to actually get my brain turned on, and so I started researching nootropics, and I came up with what I thought would be an ideal stack for myself. And I had been tracking my performance on the Cambridge Brain Sciences website, right? And so you can go on and you take this mental battery of tests, and I was never, never able to crack the eighty third percentile. Which, given you know, I mean, it's like seventy eight thousand people in there, and they're not slackers. Um, wasn't bad but it wasn't enough and so i spent a couple months researching nootropics and i ordered everything and i got what would be my perfect stack and i hammered back my perfect stack and i got on and i took the test and i just crushed it i hit the 99th percentile and it was it was great but then a couple hours later you know back to normal but Using those compounds like methylene blue to upregulate electron flow. I mean, yeah, any, anything you can potentiate like that. That's NMN has a byproduct that's you know sort of similar. Like you really feel it. And caffeine, nicotine, um, the like the molecular shape of nicotine. I think is probably going to come into the forefront in people's minds here pretty soon because of the COVID stuff. Because uh, there's been a lot of strange effects that people have noted, like people who smoke. Don't seem to have as much of an affinity for getting COVID at the same rates that normal, you know, people who are non-smokers do, and I, I'm going to just put out a hunch. And granted, I have access to some research that isn't out yet that it has a lot to do with the the molecular shape there. And but nicotine does elicit a lot of really cool effects. So nicotine combined with caffeine, yeah, that's a jazzy
1: nootropic stack. I have uh, I have a nicotine right here. <laughs> <laughs> little yeah. nicotine lozenge. But here's here's the thing with the nicotine. And, I, and I'm going to get back to this and also how to shuttle in the methylene blue more effectively. But <clears throat> I have a really sordid past with nicotine because I smoked cigarettes for a year. I mean, I don't know, 15 years or something. I finally quit. Cold turkey. I was good. No nicotine. And I, I knew that the For me personally, the formula for being sober from something is you just don't touch it anymore at all because the slippery slope, like the gateway drug thing. So I don't smoke weed because I don't want to end back up on hard drugs, you know. Right to this day. I don't have like a little sip of wine because I'm gonna end up, you know, being a complete basket case. Just (laughs) just the way that I seem to be made up. So I understood that principle of complete abstinence. So I quit cold turkey, didn't smoke for years, and then I was on a cruise in the Bahamas and my uh, stepbrother gave me a a Cuban cigar, a Cohiba. And I thought, it's not, you know, it's not a cigarette. What am I going to, I'm like, I'm not a golfer. Like I pictured like cigars, just only old dudes that wear Tommy Bahama (laughs) shirts and play golf, smoke cigars. I'm like, that's not going to become a thing. Smoke one fucking cigar on the boat. And
0: your life is now centered around a humidor.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The next, the next port, I'm like, where's the cigar shop? Buy boxes of these Cubans and then i spent like 4 years just huffing down literally like 2 to 3 cuban cigars a day wow which is really expensive really smelly and makes you quite tired so fast forward i i quit that shit i completely quit nicotine cold turkey again and then and then last year i started doing some plant medicine ceremonies and mm-hmm. oftentimes there's hape involved which is like a you know a, a snuff which has some tobacco in it and then these uh I always forget the name of Mapo, Mapot, Mapacho, Mapachos, these kind of hand rolled Peruvian cigarettes, mm-hmm. that, uh, in between a cigarette and a cigar, which is a tobacco rustico, really amazing, you know, um, variety of tobacco. You don't inhale it, you kind of puff it like a cigar, and it's great in ceremony. It has its its magic in the world of plant medicines. And mm-hmm. so in Costa Rica, I'm like smoking those and I'm like, damn, I like these. <laughs> you know, I'm, like be careful. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I came back home, it was fine. And then I had this thought, it's like this attic, you know, type thinking that, um, well, I had a cigar in my freezer for like zombie apocalypse and I'm never going to smoke it. <laughs> and then I came back home from Costa Rica and I said, I was smoking these mapachos for a week. I was fine. So I, I can smoke this cigar and I'll be okay smoke that cigar. It's delicious. Uh, and then, uh, you know, didn't have any ideas to start smoking cigars. Then I went to a party. Uh, and, uh, this guy, Mike Cernovich was, was there, mutual acquaintance and offered everyone a cigar. And I thought, well, I was fine the other day, had that one. Then a week I'm back at the cigar store, wow. smoking a Cuban, at least one every day. And that's been for like a, a month and a half going on two months. And I, and I crave it now. And cause I was also, I started doing these little trokies, these yeah. little uh, lozenges. I found some organic non-aspartame nicotine lozenges I really like the nootropic effect, as you just described, but now I find myself like craving nicotine and getting irritable if I don't have it. And so smoking these cigars, I mean, it's a lot of nicotine, which would knock most people on their ass, but you get acclimated to it. So that's a long way of whining about my addictive personality and also saying, do you think there's a downside at a certain dose of nicotine aside from the addiction issues? But Oh, yeah. If someone's smoking a couple cigars a day and just getting hammered by that much nicotine, do you think there's a
0: yeah diminishing I, return? Yes, definitively. Yeah, okay. it's it, yeah, it's cytotoxic. I mean, if you use it in any reasonable dose, it starts killing cells, okay. and you really don't want to do that. Now, in thank
1: in, you, because that's going to give me motivation to get. Yeah, these man. I, we
0: actually, I was I was playing with this uh, in the university lab last week. With I'll show you the pictures. They're kind of ridiculous, but. Um, we were we were looking at the effects of nicotine on some stuff, and sure enough, uh, pure nicotine—it's crazy lethal. I mean, it's very cytotoxic. You can use it to kill weeds and you know kill plants. Oh, and- that's
1: right, because some people use it like in—I think in <laughs> biodynamic farming—they'll use a solution of you know tobacco juice essentially yeah. as a pesticide. Yeah.
0: It's Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really, it's a very, very, very damaging. It can be in high concentrations, super cytotoxic. I mean, it's a very bad poison. So you definitely don't want to get your like millimolar concentrations up too high, just kind of back off. The, yeah. the crazy thing is it's, it's, you know, Paracelsus, right? The dose makes the poison. Mm-hmm. So if you if you use it judiciously, it's incredibly good. I mean, it, it makes your brain fire differently. You, I mean, on board... You have nicotinoid receptors, cannabinoid receptors, and opioid receptors, right? So there's obviously an interaction that needs to occur with with all of those different things in our body because we're biologically geared for it, right? So cannabis has been around for a while. We've evolved with it. You know, I'm a huge fan of CBD, I think it's great. THC, not so much, doesn't really float my boat, but like CBD, great effects. I think personally, I actually think you can elicit a, a better biological effect. If you use a combination, you know, because then you you end up with all the terpenes, all the cannabinoids, and there's a whole host of them. I mean, there's like you know eighty some odd cannabinoids, and shockingly enough, looks like nature figured it out. You know, <laughs> you know, give something impunity in a couple billion years, and it actually comes up with the right answer. So I don't think we as people are really drilling down and saying, oh, we're just going to isolate this one fraction and it's way better. But as a whole, those are great. But our bodies are geared for them, right? So you take that in; it's geared for it. Same thing with opioids. I mean. Uh, kratom or kratom, depending yeah. on where you are. That's actually a great one. Um, yeah, I
1: love that stuff.
0: Yeah, it's really good. I, and, I keep the crystal version in in the lab. Yeah, yeah,
1: it, it's, it's it's an amazing painkiller, and I will say the, the 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 crystallized the extract can get you straight up wasted too. I figured that yeah. out. You know, playing a, l- a little heavy on it, and like, oh, I'm feeling this in a way that I don't intend to feel it, but for like back pain and just kind of. Any kind of pain and wanting to just chill out, it's very effective. Uh, the thing that I found interesting about that, speaking about the opiate receptors, is my receptors were full of opiates for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So when I found out about kratom, kratom, or as the Thai call it, kratom.
0: Uh, <laughs> Which I, is now what I'm going to adopt. Kratom. <laughs> well, no. Uh-huh.
1: I, I was uh, dating a Thai girl when I discovered that, and I was like, "You ever heard of this stuff, kratom?" And she was like, "Kratom? No, it's kratom. It's like a gross street drug, you know, because in Thailand it's very frowned upon because the government vilified it because people can get off opiates. So there's this whole weird history of how that works of the you know the working class, um, the field workers becoming addicted to to opium from working the fields, and then they figured out they could use kratom to get off it and free themselves from that. Uh, it's a good that. thing
0: that in this country, financial bias would never
1: <laughs> would never outpace or outweigh the
0: importance of people's health.
1: I mean, that right. never happened. I know, crazy, huh? <laughs> um, but anyway, I, eventually, I thought, you know, I feel safe in in doing that, and so I've I've used it as a plant medicine, medicinally, um, mostly just for pain, and um, I've never found it to be habit forming. Although I have heard anecdotally that former opiate users and addicts can very easily get addicted to Kratom because of its, you know, I guess it fits the key. Yeah, it's working on
0: the mu mu opioid receptor is the specific Uh, receptor
1: pathway. and I I never found it to be problematic, personally. I
0: I was actually looking at it because I I was working with some people... who had cancer and they needed some help with some stuff. So I was jumping in and, and went full on in on how the, the, you could get different effects by tweaking opioid receptors. Because there's a, there's a theory of cancer called the wound theory of cancer, where you kind of wonder when you see a tumor that's really progressing, why your body doesn't recognize it? Well, if the surface is covered with opioid receptors and they in fact are, uh, then anything that's produced in your body, you know, an endomite or anything like that, uh, just endogenously produced, gets sucked in and binds to the opioid receptors on the surface of a tumor, and hence it nullifies your immune system's ability to recognize it. And so there's a, a professor at uh, Ulm University in Germany, Claudia Friesen, and she's done studies for the past 12 years. Um, and I've got, I think, a 172-page paper that she published a while back. It was truly brilliant. And she was showing that you could just affect the, uh, the opioid receptors on the cell surface of tumors and you could get the tumors to start going away. And if you used it in combination with uh, different chemo and sometimes radiation, unbelievably good results. I mean, just the tumors would just drop out of the body. Things that were, you know, small cell lung carcinoma, glioblastoma, all kinds of things that are very difficult to treat. And it was just modulating opioid receptors. So, you know, that, that was kind of my entree. But when you look at, she uses a thing called DL methadone, right? Which is a specific type of methadone. I was thinking, well, that's going to be hard to recommend to people in the States because it's a you know schedule one controlled substance right. and people get all kind of wiggy-jiggy about that. And um, especially with the opioid epidemic going on, yeah. people are not right. saying, hey, could you score some uh, some opioids for me so I can help these people out? That's not really going to happen, right? So you, you have to look at other alternatives and one of them was Kratom. And I thought, okay, well, this might be a viable option. So I looked at naltrexone, Kratom, um, and then methadone uh, in a different form, the form that's generally used in the states, and th- the the effects were really surprising. Right, S- that kratom didn't actually really work that well for the cancers, uh, but naltrexone on certain types of cancer worked surprisingly well, and methadone, uh, as Professor Friesen's research showed, worked phenomenally well. It was just night and day difference between what really generally happens with a tumor progression and what happens then. I was, I was talking to a, a doctor here in California a while back, and she has the Center for New Medicine. And I, I was asking her about something, and she asked me what I was recommending, and I told her about this particular protocol from Germany. And she pointed out uh, that one of her friends runs the International Oncology Association, and he does that with all of his patients, You know, pre- prescribes that they go on methadone. Uh, while they're doing chemo and radiation. And he, of course, is in Germany. And it's, uh, you know, just as an aside, modulating opioid receptors is great, but you can also modulate cannabinoid receptors. um, Because I I have a friend here uh, who I'll be speaking to later today. And she had uh, cancer and and just took cannabis. She worked at a cannabis company. She'd actually founded it. And she just took cannabis and got a 52% reduction over her entire body of her metastatic cancer. Now, that worked for a while, but then it all, you know, started coming back because basically you call out what can be knocked out and then you know the the cells that are remaining propagate again and start to respawn and continue growing. But it's, you know, again, we've evolved with those things, you know, nicotinoid receptors, they're there for a reason. I, you know, your your addictive personality in terms of the way you phrased it might not actually be so much that it's an addictive personality as you might you might be noticing that there's something biologically that will enhance your performance if you get this certain thing. Because we're all hooked on being, or at least most of the people that kind of do the stuff we do, are all really hooked on being super high performing, right? You know, like push more, think more clearly, sleep less, eat better. It's, it's pretty compelling, right? Because then you, you see the fruits of your labor. You're doing all these things that seem like, wow, that's, that's a great response. I did this amazing thing. Uh, you might just be picking up something that you need, right? You, you, your body may respond better to those things. I don't know. You, you with your background, is it across all domains? Well, you know,
1: it's 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 really interesting, actually. And I don't know. It goes into a complete other, you know, direction. It could be a, a long conversation in and of itself. But being around many people in recovery over the past twenty three plus years, uh, there does seem to be. A type of person biologically that very easily habituates to different drugs, alcohol, nicotine, et cetera. And this other class of people that can kind of take it or leave it and even play with things here that recreationally, medicinally, whatever, without becoming dependent on them. And so it's like there's the thoughts become things. Quantum approach to it mm-hmm. is if you're sitting there going, I'm an alcoholic. I'm, you know, and that's, you know, it's part of recovery. And that's the, it's a weird um, kind of paradox there because in, in my own experience, how I was able to break free from just a horrific life of absolute just bondage and desperation and just, it was horrendous, uh, my life before. I can't even describe how hellish it was. Uh, And the way that I was able to break free was achieving this spiritual not achieving being gifted the grace of a spiritual surrender where i realize, like man i am addicted to all this shit i'm an addict i'm an alcoholic and just really accepting that at a core level and that in and of myself using my own resources and willpower i'm unable to overcome this thing maybe if i avail myself to creation to god mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it that the thing that created me and created all these substances can actually free me from it. And so that was that was my mode, but part of that was really admitting to my innermost self that that I was an alcoholic, for example. On the kind of positive psychology side of that, there's this belief that if you keep on saying, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic, even though you've quit drinking or oh, I'm a junkie, even though you quit the junk, right? that you're kind of, um, you're cementing in this subconscious belief system that is self-limiting. And so I've I've always just been curious about both sides of that. I don't know what the answer is. I don't typically walk around thinking or saying like, oh, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) Um, Even though my history has proven that when I touch that particular substance, it becomes a huge problem. So I just absolutely hardline 100% do not touch it and don't believe that I ever will, God willing. But when it comes to some of the other things, there is... I don't know. There's an interesting kind of breathing room. So as someone who is addicted to opiates prior in a really bad way for a number of years, one would think based on that logic that I could never touch something that activates those opiate receptors like kratom. But I can and have and do, and it's not ever become a problem. I mean, I'm mindful. I mean, I keep a self-awareness about it, but... It's not like I took Kratom once and was like, I want to do this shit every day. It's just, I forget I even have it until my back hurts or something and I take it and I forget about it.
0: Yeah, but it seems like you've had like a really profound sort of shift in awareness. You know, I mean, based on where you were and where you are and what you're doing, there's there's an entirely different light about it, you know?
1: It's true. Yeah, I mean, because I have spent a lot of time and energy uh, and, you know, sacrifice, diligence, et cetera, in getting out of the core underlying trauma that, was making life so uncomfortable that I needed to be anesthetized twenty four seven. So
0: certain things can only hold on, like <clears throat> you, you know, if you look at it just from a frequency perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Certain things can only hold on to something else as long as it's oscillating slowly. Once you shift your frequency beyond a certain point, and I and I mean that in in both the physics sense and the spiritual sense, uh, because there's a whole lot of overlap of both of those things. I mean, if you really start drilling down and you kind of you don't get really attached to the idea of uh, this is going to sound woo-woo or whatever. Because you know we all preface things like that. Everybody I know in the sciences who has experiences or is looking at things that are a little bit beyond the norm, everybody you know prefaces it with saying, oh, this may be woo-woo. But the reality is it's just things we don't know yet. And you've shifted your, your particular field so much that a lot of those things probably can't hang on anymore. It would be horrifically painful to them to hang on, you know, and not, not to go with, you know, the whole, uh, you know, personification of something. But in a sense, I mean, if you look at at a different frequency as saying, okay, this will bond just like a receptor, this can bond to this. Well, if you change the receptor site enough, it no longer bonds. And there are a lot of things like like I've been working on olfaction, right? Um, Just because of one of the things that I think is going to be really pivotal for humanity in the future is really getting a grasp on what's happening with quantum medicine. Like if I had my druthers, that's really what I'd be working on all the time is like quantum medicine and quantum biology, because I think that's really where it's going. And so when you start looking at the core of what all these things are, it's how do things relate and cancel notally based on frequencies. And if you think of objects as having a certain as Buckminster Fuller um, for whom, you know, C60 is named as an homage uh, he referred to things as having a pattern integrity, right? Like you have the pattern integrity of Luke. I have the pattern integrity of Ian. Really, we're just vibrating fields of energy at that particular spot, holding a certain reference frame. My particular experience has been that all of that, again, not to sound too woo-woo, it, it's, a, it's stemming from your consciousness, right? So you have a core consciousness that's evolving over time, and then you aggregate things together based on that. As it moves and develops and becomes stronger and stronger and stronger, those receptors on the surface that would allow you to bond with different things, they just go away. You know, there might have been a point in my life where I would have been willing to do something that was mean or unconscionable or those aren't there. You know, not to say, you know, I was I was actually talking with a friend last night about this, about, you know, addiction. And I said, I made the comment of saying, well, you know, I have issues with this, but I don't, it's not like heroin. I was joking about ice cream, right? Like, I love ice cream. Don't really, it's not like a great thing for you, but it's something I really enjoy. Don't actually do it that often, but I really enjoy it. And I said, well, that's you know, kind of a failing. And he's like, dude, it's not a failing. It's not like you know, something else. And I said, well, I, I get that it's not like heroin, but, you know, but, but if the impetus for it, if I really look at myself and kind of check the ego and, and don't take that voice into account and go, why am I doing this? What is the functioning purpose of this? What void am I filling? And I look at that well, it doesn't really matter what the devices that you're using to do that. If the issue that you're trying to compensate for emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, you know, and then fundamentally as or fundamentally is, is sort of a just a being, what what is that thing? What hole are you trying to plug? When you really drill down and look at it, the same thing that people may be trying to plug with opioids might be the same thing that I'm trying to plug that day with, you know. Uh, some piece of, you know, ice cream or cake or whatever, you know, that's, it's, what's the real impetus for it? So you know, kind of a long, long ranging conversation, but, uh, you yeah, know. It,
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, because that I'm always getting down to the underlying root cause and it, it boils down to that attraction aversion, right? There's pleasure seeking or there's pain avoidance. And so at the root of all addiction, it, it leads you down that path.
0: And 48% so, carrot, 52% stick, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> and, and, and this is the phenomenon really, I think that's so interesting to me. And what I started to unpack in 2019 was this, the world of clinical psychedelics and the shamanic, you know, intentional ceremonial use of plant medicines, just absolutely curing people of lifelong addictions in one shot. yeah I mean, it's insane. So what what's happening there is there's there's a rewiring or a healing of some underlying trauma that makes you seek that pleasure or that escape or that numbing agent, whether it's ice cream or a cigar or heroin, cocaine, alcohol, whatever. It's it's a really, really interesting field of study um, that, I'm, that I'm interested in.
0: Sometimes those things strike me as like a magic trick, right? In that you have this, this misconception or problem in yourself and you you keep running through it over and over and over with whatever the problem is. But then, once you understand how the magic trick is done, it ceases to be a magic trick. It no longer holds the same allure for you. So if you if you see what's actually happening, and you use like say ayahuasca, and really drill down, and you get to the root cause of what the issue is, once you know and you can address the root, the issue is done. Right? There's no need for you to keep masticating and you know just going over and over and over and over it.
1: We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. One of the many advantages of hosting a podcast like mine where I talk about and feature products and services and experts in the health and wellness space is that I get turned on to the most amazing brands, not the least of which being today's sponsor, Osea. Osea stands for the elements of wellness, ocean, sun, earth, and atmosphere. And they've got a skin and body care line that is absolutely fantastic. As I always say, when I discover something you put on your skin, you want to make sure that it's something you could eat if you wanted to. And their products absolutely pass that test. And if you were to sneak into my bathroom upstairs from where I'm recording this right now and open any drawer on my side of the bathroom, you'd find Osea products. If you turned around and opened the drawers on the other side, my girlfriend Allison's side, you would also find their products. So we we dig them in the whole family here because Osea products can help reveal and illuminate your natural radiance, whether you're looking for hydration, oil balancing, anti-aging, blemish solutions, etc. cetera. Now, I'm someone that likes to get a lot of sun. I've lived in LA for 30 years now at the time of this recording, and I'm out in the sun just about every day, so I really need products that work when it comes to my skin health. And it's absolutely not only imperative that they work, but they've also gotta be sustainably packaged, non-toxic, cruelty-free, and in this case, vegan and made with love right here in California. So if you're in the LA area, you can stop by the Osea Venice Skincare Studio for a facial that's quite fantastic. I'm uh, meaning to get over there and get one myself. Uh, I've not quite arrived yet, but I do use their products at home, as I said. If you want to use them at home, it's super easy. Go to oseamalibu.com slash lifestylist. That's O S E A. Malibu.com slash the lifestylist. If you use that link, you're going to get 10 bucks off your first purchase of $50 or more, plus free shipping on US orders of $75 and over, and free samples with every order. That's malibu.com slash the lifestylist. And now back to the interview. I want to jump back to um the C sixty thing. Because I got off on it. on many tangents there, which is great, but I I would I'll be remiss if I don't talk about this. So back to this uh mm-hmm. enzyme uh and its inability on its own to get where you want it to go. I've heard that it has the ability to uh, gobble up scar tissue. It does, and and get into your joints and mm-hmm. have uh, benefits. How does that work? If you're able to get it in, like you can here, <laughs> being shuttled in with the C60. Well,
0: that actually, my partner. Um, one of the things, like even even if the company had never really gone anywhere, uh, I would have been jazzed because I fixed up my dog and my partner. He had um, arthritis and r- really he had rheumatic fever as a kid. He's from Morocco. And immigrated when he was eleven, and so he had that lifelong. And he was an athlete, and his joints were really, really impinged. And in his mid sixties, mobility was just gone, and he couldn't. He could. Yeah, I used to tease him about having you know crab claws because he couldn't articulate the individual fingers well. He had to kind of close his hands like that. And so after about I don't know it was a couple months in of using that, he had full mobility. The swelling was gone, and it's because once you drop the inflammatory response, right, the cytokines plummet, they they drop out, the inflammation goes away, then your body perfuses the joints with the seropeptase, which then goes in and actually starts eating sclerotic tissue, right? And so the sclerotic tissue is incredibly similar to the the proteins in a silkworm cocoon, right? So same fundamental structural makeups. and, And that's why, you know, silkworms use it to emerge from chrysalis. We can use it to break down scar tissue. So, Every time you take a dose, the inflammation drops, the body realizes that there's a hot spot, it pumps it into that area, and it actually removes the structural media so when the inflammation comes back because it it will until whatever the source issue is gone uh, it 's less because you 've actually lessened the physical media in that joint, so there's less of a problem so as you take it over and over, it decreases, 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 and structurally. In in the most basic sense, structurally remodels the interior of those joints so that you're not having to contend with repeated insults that trigger an inflammatory response.
1: Wow, that's rad! Because I have a lot of problems with my joints. I'm working on that. So, if this in this particular formula in this revive, if this is two percent um, of this enzyme, could one take a bunch of seropeptase capsules and dump them in here and maximize that? Or oh, it, yeah.
0: Yeah I, I, yeah I've done it when I was I was mm. working on uh decreasing my um cardiac like calcium scores and things like that and I wanted to drop out a lot of the things that are that are still kind of latent in arterial pathways and that's one of the things that'll actually do it um so yeah I up the concentrations many 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 fold it stings so when you when you take it it's uh as one person put it spicy all right so i I've had two people say that one was about the uh the dimethyl sulfoxide the DMSO that's used on the hair product uh, is referred to that as spicy as well and the other was when I made a, a formula just to kind of clean out all of all of my uh, circulatory system. That's,
1: that's very cool. I'm gonna do that because when I was working with Sarah peptase years ago, I understood the the problem with the assimilation by mm-hmm. just swallowing the pills right uh, so just again from my past knowing if you want to get something in your bloodstream and get it past your gut you can do it in an enema or just you know like a syringe up the keister so i used to make these <laughs> super potent i'd take a shot glass and i'd put maybe like 10 capsules of serapeptase in there and then stir it up with water and yeah. then draw it into a little rectal uh you know syringe i just take yeah. that and go to sleep to to get what i thought would be that that enzyme to bypass the gut and get where it was supposed to go but this sounds like a much easier way to do it.
0: It is. You know, one thing you were saying about your joints and and I noticed this with myself because I had an old soccer injury on my, on my left knee and using that drop the inflammation took out a lot of the scar tissue and that takes it to a certain point. But this goes back to what I was saying about you kind of want to address both sides of the sine wave, right? The top of the wave and the bottom of the wave. So you want to do the things that are going to rebuild it and bolster it and also take the things that are going to remove the, the damaged issues. Um, you might want to look at doing like some prp injections locally because that if you this isn't going to stimulate a huge amount of you know biogenesis like you're not going to pump out a whole lot of new you know cartilage or anything like that uh it'll remove the damaged stuff and you'll get a little bit of new cartilage but based on where you are you're you're probably better if you use something like uh really concentrated growth factors and do like prp or stem cells or something like that
1: yeah Yeah. I'm about due for another round of stem cells. What I've been doing lately is I'm on a pretty committed regimen of a really powerful cold laser. because I'm trying to cure this back problem and also using the pulse centers PMF. So I'll do like two hours on my hip, which is kind of the main Mm -hmm. culprit with that PMF and then do the laser and get a chiropractic adjustment. And I haven't haven't gotten a lot more mobility in the joint, but the pain has definitely decreased a lot, which is exciting.
0: Well, I think the mobility. I noticed today I was doing, uh, I was doing energy practices, right? So it, the um, energy for success, Doctor yeah, Doctor yeah. B's stuff, right? So yeah. I, I do those every day, and I was doing doing them this morning, and there's one where you, you know, you're moving your arms above your head, and I noticed my right shoulder popping quite a lot every time I did it. I thought, ah, you know, that's the next site for a PRP injection, yeah, shoulder. Uh, because I know that there's nothing left there that's inflamed because of the amount of stuff you know that I suck down in terms of the you know, revive every day, um, but it's still it's not rebuilding everything, right? right? So you can eliminate the the acute onset of the of the problem, but you're not actually fixing it. And so for that, I uh, you know I I pull a lot of my own blood and spin it down in a centrifuge and do injections.
1: Oh, you make your own PRP? Yeah, I do it all the time. <laughs> I, I awesome.
0: actually I do it, I do it literally like every week. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh man, yeah. that's so cool to have the ability to do that. And then what does the uh, L-carnosine and CoQ10 in here do? Uh,
0: so the CoQ10 is magic sauce. <laughs> it's it's just, CoQ10 is so good. Uh, it's it's just, it. you know, it's a cofactor enzyme, but it's, uh, the difference between not having it and having it is shocking. The carnosine, the idea with the carnosine was to go back in and provide you aminos so that you could rebuild the, the support around something, right? So cartilage doesn't really grow that much. Um, it's because of the blood flow, right? So um, something with a lot of low blood flow, it just doesn't grow that much. So the idea was, well, muscles have a lot. So let's bolster all these things physically by just enhancing the muscles around them and doing muscle repair. So that's what the carnosine is for. And carnosine also has a whole host of other effects. I mean, just cerebrally, it's, it's great for your brain. It's good for your muscles. Um, but when you combine that with the CoQ10, you really do get a, a, a big boost. And I know this from doing all the ATP studies. Um, if you buffer CoQ10 the way I've got it buffered in there, you get huge numbers. And it, like I was saying, you know, we did that 3,313%. You can't actually do that because you'll hurt people. But once you know where it's at, you can ratchet it back until you get some really pronounced numbers. And this this goes back to the same point about addressing both sides of the wave, right? So the coq10 enhances the cycle. So you're actually able to pump more electrons and you're you're enhancing the ETC. Uh the C60 knocks out the loss. So it's you're putting a big motor in and you're also trimming the weight on everything else.
1: Well, that's cool. Yeah. Uh having listened to some of your interviews as I said, I I think you're as you said, motivated more by impact than by, you know, getting, dying with the most toys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. But, and and as, and I really, I really respect that. I mean, I have, I have a couple of friends that own companies and I have them on my show and I'm kind of like nudging. I'm like, dude, plug your shit. And they're just, (laughs) that's not what they're about. Um, But what I've noticed in your interviews is you don't like diss other um, uh, C60 products. No. But to me, the space is very competitive and it's difficult to kind of hack your way through the weeds of what the bullshit yeah. <laughs> C60 is and the real deal stuff. And I think because I'm just like obsessed with finding the real deal, that's why I, I settled on your product. Um, cause I just research as much as I can, but it's kind of like, like the CBD industry is very yeah. similar. Everyone claims to have the best extraction and, you know, balance of the THC and this and that. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I found a brand I like, uh, you know, it's weird, uh, but actually. The, the C60 space is weird. It's like really competitive and sharky. It's kind of like there's two other industries, the sauna industry and the um, the air purification industry are very kind of catty. And there's a lot of competition of who's doing it right and who's not. And it's weird. And in the supplement world, C60 seems to be this, it has its own little kind of community of yeah,
0: it's a little battles strange. of who's doing it right. Well, one of the things, yeah. And I'm, I'm, Never going to, you know, diss any particular person because really, I hope it gets out to more and more people. Uh, the things that I can definitively tell you because I've actually done the clinical research on this is um, a lot of people hinge on like, oh, is it ninety nine point nine 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 or ninety nine point five? Or there's biologically speaking, such an infinitesimally small difference between those things that it's great if you're selling it because you can say, oh, it's ninety nine point nine five. And you can charge a lot more, but you're not actually changing the biological effect that you get. Even if you go down to, we tested it all the way down to like 99.5. Same basic biological effect, very, very minuscule differences. And again, I think a lot of that's just profit driven, right? People are trying to hawk something at a higher price. And so that's what they do. And you 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 can definitely get, there's a lot of people who do it with MCT and a lot of people who do it with olive oil. I'm just happy that it's getting out there, but I I, it does kind of frustrate me sometimes when I I I have people send me things and they're like, oh, these guys say it's impossible that you can't get this density, and like, well, that's just poor thinking. You know, we've had third party verifications, and sure, you can. You know, anybody could if they really if they just thought about the process a little bit instead of just going ah, let's focus on this one percent instead of addressing the ninety nine percent of this other component. You know. I, I hope that it levels off a little bit, but there are some there are a couple of companies that I've seen where it scares the bejesus out of me because they're selling just amorphous carbon. And it's not carbon 60, like definitively, if you run a spec on it, because I've got an HPLC in the lab. If you run a spec analysis on it, it's not C60, right? The peak is in the wrong spot. And if you're not getting that, that nice handy dandy 720 peak, it's different. And they just keep hawking it. And I talked to a, a fellow who actually runs a, like he posts a bunch of stuff on his site about C60 and does all these different analytical things and compares the prices and the, the ratios. And, and he called me one time he's a really nice dude and we were talking and he said, well, you know, I'm taking this stuff. And I said, that's cool, but it's not actually C60. And he said, well, you know, I've gotten these great effects. And I said, yeah, that's true. But you'd get those same effects just from taking activated charcoal. The problem is if you continue to do that, I mean, you don't want to hammer down activated charcoal, on On a long term basis, because you're going to deplete yourself of other nutrients. I mean, it's going to literally suck them out of your system. And sure enough, um, I think it was only literally like three weeks after I had that conversation, he called me and said I had to go to the hospital. Turns out, you know, it, and it was exactly that. And it it that concerns me because, as an industry, it's such just a, a fledgling little industry. There, there now there are a ton of companies doing it, but but ton really equates to maybe twenty something now. And I think maybe 1% of the populace actually has even heard of this. So it's just such a new thing. I, I, I worry that the infighting is going to have a detrimental effect and that somebody's going to do something stupid or make some ridiculous claim and and actually shoot it out of the saddle. Because there, there are a lot of technologies that are really good that have great data behind them that you'll never see because there's you know political influences at play monetary influences at play and, and i don't want silly infighting to uh to do that to this industry so yeah i will not necessarily go after someone but just do your homework check proceed with caution because there's some there's some good groups out there um and some doing like the you know the mct based stuff i've talked to most of the guys in the industry at least like the top tier guys um i i actually like most of them on a personal basis I don't necessarily agree with the way everybody approaches their business. Um, and for me, I, I've i been trying to get the cost on this down. And my partner, Dan, is he's great at, at ratcheting down the cost on things, which is terrific because the more we're able to get this down to a, a price where everybody can get it, the more ubiquitous it'll become. And then people will have those effects. And it's just kind of this you know snowball of good that builds, which is what I'm shooting for. Um, but I don't know. Again, I, I don't know that that's everybody's motivation you
1: know? and when it comes to the different uh ways that the c60 molecule can be made is there a hierarchy of you know the in my chemical reactions that- well
0: ultimately at the end of the day when you're ending up with c60 everybody says oh, it's c60 is c60 and yeah that's true ish it's it's a little odd because it delves with a lot of things that are kind of bordering on more physics that aren't really standard chemistry right so you run an analysis on like a GCMS and you know mass spectroscopy, right? So you do that or or liquid chromatography, and you you see what you're dealing with, and and it'll read out as C60. But in my experience, having done so much of it, I've tried things from flame synthesis, things from arc plasma arc synthesis, uh, things from you know the standard uh, synthesis where like the one you know that that we have, where because uh, I actually have a carbon arc um, and we built it just you know, to actually start producing our own stuff. Um, And the, the majority of what we get is actually not our own because it's not really at scale, but in dealing with that, yeah, there, there is a difference. I I've noticed a difference in feel. I haven't quantified it yet because the, the equipment, when things read out spectrally the same, everyone just says, Oh, that's the gold standard. It's the same. But when you can notice a difference, um, there's something more happening, and as a scientist, it's kind of incumbent upon you to look at that. And this is, you know, you and I were talking before the podcast, and I was mentioning um, that experience I had with the the protein powder, right? So, uh, Doctor B, uh, we were at a conference, and he opened up a pack of protein powder and separated it into two pieces, and and put his hand over one piece, and then said, "Taste them." And so I, I tasted them, and and the two pieces or like the two sides entirely different, right? And so much so, you know, I, I asked him, I said, well, what did you do? And he said, well, this one, you know, I, I charged it with source energy and, and this one is, you know, just the regular. And <laughs> the one that was charged was delicious. Like I was drawn to suck that stuff down. Uh, and I brought it, I brought it back to the house where I was staying and, and had the friend that I was staying with. I had her try it as well. Same thing. You know, one was fantastic. The other one, eh. and having seen him do that, it, it triggered something in my head, which is, well, Okay. Nothing is changing chemically, right? It's the same compounds, but something is changing. So, what is that something? And my hypothesis at this point, and and I've been developing equipment to, to actually test for this, is that you're you're starting to look at uh, differing states. And I always loathe it when people use quantum because it's you know it's like quantum synergy. It's scientific terms that people don't really understand that they throw around a lot. But in this case, it, it truly is that it's something that's at a scale that's like you know Planck length kind of scale. You're you're changing the, the function or the spin of, more likely than not, the actual spin of electrons. And so you're changing something's energy state, like its inherent energy potential. And when you do that, I, and I know from the experience, it tastes different. So if you can see that something tastes different, it means that there is a mechanism to test for it. We just may not have it yet. So in the C60 world, when I tasted something or ingested something rather from um, an arc a plasma arc process uh, versus the standard electrical arc process that you know we use uh, and most of the guys worldwide use. There was a difference, and I I know what the spectral analysis says, but I also know what my body says. And of the two, uh, I'm inclined to go okay. Chemically, it's the same, but something's different. And so, uh, yeah, in, in my experience, the the standard method is the one that feels the best to me, which is just you know electrical synthesis where you take Two carbon graphite rods, and you you pump high voltage through them, and then you form an arc between the two, and then there's a, a little explosive plume, and then you sift that out, and you get you only get you know seven percent or so uh, C sixty when you actually filter it out and then run it through a column. Um, but that's the one that feels the best. The the plasma arc looks a little different feels a little different uh it actually the the color's different which you, you can say that's because of particulate size but even when you ball mill the stuff down and make it more refined it still has a different look and um again there there are things that we don't have the technology to explain yet but when i personally experience something like oh this feels different well that's it, you know i'm inclined to say there's something different. We just don't know. Which is actually what I had mentioned earlier about olfaction. You know, for the longest time, people said, "Oh, you know, smell. It's it's this lock and key system of receptors, and and it's it's really not. It's a quantum function based on vibrations. And there have been a lot of experiments that that are actually showing that they've they've genetically modified um, some different flies so that they could actually smell different compounds and move towards one or the other. And even though things had the same. Uh, molecular configuration they would move towards one and I'll reference a book I'll send you a link to it but things change vibrationally that we in, just in general science as of yet we're not addressing we're not there yet you know in 50 years I'm sure everybody will be like well duh that's you know that's a
1: this yeah this yeah. is the this is the most <clears throat> exciting thing when it comes to um, health and longevity and making progress there it's it's like, uh, you know, at the Joe Dispenza events, you have these these uh, coherence healings. Yeah. Where, you know, they train a bunch of healers to stand or sit around or over the Healy that's got, you know, in some cases cancer or, and a tumor or, you know, a dysfunctional, uh, you know, um, knee or whatever. Something's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. You have all these people get incoherence mind heart connection send healing energy and love to this person and they're cured on the spot yeah and <laughs> you know and, and that mean? happens and that is that's the, a quantum function yeah and that's the that's a realm but it's like the the narrowly skeptic scientific lockdown Newtonian physics physics based model does not allow for that and the, so to me that's where i, I want to go like right in there to me that's the most interesting because it can't really be explained not, at least, not, not that yet, easily,
0: but but it will be, and you know that's the thing. I it's funny that you say that. I'll I'll show you what I sent over to those guys yesterday uh, to a doctor, Tammy Morelia, who's working with them. Um, I wrote up a protocol to do testing for that for the the uh, the effects of meditation on the propagation and proliferation of stem cells using a CD thirty four assay, so you can isolate. How many new stem cells are propagating through a person's system at the start of the week when they take their blood, and then at the end of the no week? way! Yeah, oh, yeah, they're cool. gonna have to wait. I think until Tammy was saying yesterday, until October when they can get a group of like a thousand people together again. Right, but right, yeah, but that's actually it's funny timing because I literally just wrote the protocol oh, up for how rad. to test for that.
1: That's one of the coolest things about his events is there's a team of scientists. They have people on QEGs. They're drawing blood on everyone. Yeah. And at the end of the week, and then he shows you the results and all the brain scans and all this shit. It's crazy. There's, just from getting yeah. in heart and brain coherence and just having some intention. and
0: Yeah, man, it makes all the difference wild. in the world. When I when I was a kid, I had really horrific migraine headaches and I had them like three or four days a week. And you know I had scans and tests and nobody could find anything. So on a whim, my dad said, let's try this new thing, biofeedback therapy. So he got me into biofeedback therapy when I was 11 and I started doing really heavy duty brain training. And you know, once you've you've got the, the colander with wires on your head, and, you know, and, and once you uh once you realize what you have to think and feel in order to change uh you know the readout, and you're getting it in real time, it gives you an entirely different toolkit and a whole different way to address like, oh, this is what my physiology does here, and and my mindset changes that, and the the frame that I'm in affects this, and you can see it with you know temperature and respiration and blood pressure and, you know, pulse rates, everything, you know, all the things that were considered generally to be autonomous nervous system functions, they're not, they're well within your control. Then then I think on average though, people probably wouldn't want to take control of that because it's a, it's a whole lot of extra stuff to do. You know, mentally, if you're barely just hanging on, you probably don't want to try and try and take control. And now I'm going to take control of my breathing. You know, (laughs) it's too many balls in the air when you're juggling. But it makes a profound impact, and so the stuff that Joe Dispenza is doing intrigues me because I think that they're going to very easily prove out uh, th- that there are all these effects happening when you do get coherence, because coherence is a big thing. I mean, I, you know, we were talking earlier; it's it's a light bulb and a laser, right? You know, one warms a hot dog and one punches a hole through steel. Same number of photons the difference is coherence when you have everything moving in the same direction at the same time you get these huge order of magnitude shifts and biologically that's where i think joe dispenza stuff seems like it's going is really sussing out the actual metrics to say this is this and this is this and this is this and i know that's where we're going to get 50 years from now or maybe 100 years from now that's i'm very much looking forward to that because it you know a lot of the stuff that everybody says oh it's very woo woo eh, that's Really not. We just don't get it yet. You know, it's like DMT intercalating inside your DNA, right? My take on that is that it simply shifts the frequency response for what you're able to pick up, right? So many people have the same effects when they do DMT. They have, you know, they'll have all the people in the room will will see the same sorts of things going on and they'll, you know, the, the clockwork elves and that kind of stuff. Well, More likely than not, all that stuff is probably just occurring because if I were going to design a universe, it certainly wouldn't just be what we're seeing. It would be very layered because otherwise it would be very wasteful, right? So I would have all these things layered on slightly out of phase with one another so that you can have everything moving in the same spatial relevance without and the same temporal relevance without having them interact, right? You just slightly offset them like electrical systems, right? You know, slightly out of phase. Um, so that they don't they don't crunch into one another. But then when you take something that intercalates in your DNA, that's fundamentally shifting the tuning. So your the dial on the uh, on the radio goes to a slightly different spot, and suddenly you can see. You know, like you were talking wow.
1: about. Oh wow, that's trippy. That's, well, that's like cool ayahuasca, right?
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, what do you think the odds are realistically that people arrived at? You know, like oh well, we're going to take this compound and then we're going to take this compound out of the literally tens of thousands of different plants that they could have used, they ended up with the two perfect things to have, you know, one reaction and then another amylase to block it. I mean, really that, you know, the odds on that are pretty damn slim mathematically. Right. You know, and so that's, they're
1: smoking the the poison from a buffer. To, <laughs> right. I always think about that, that, those types of things. I mean, like mushrooms, that's pretty easy. Yeah, you know, you're right. hunting, gathering, you see, the dog ate some of those mushrooms. He's acting crazy. So you take some, you don't die, and then everyone learns about, you know, mushrooms. But with with the ayahuasca, I've thought that too. Like, were they just? Who was the first person that was making some tea? I was like, oh, I'll take a little of this, little of that, and I was like, oh shit, I'm seeing aliens. Yeah, you, know? well, you know. And what they what <laughs> the, they actually say is that the plants told
0: them. Like, right? Where, where did you come up with this? Well, the plants told us, and that makes yeah. perfect sense if you pull back a little bit and think of things as. More consciousness than as just physical organisms, right? Because there, there, there's a whole lot more going on. I mean, you and I are capable, we, we pick up things in a very narrow EMF band, right? Just visibly, you've got like just a couple hundred nanometer spectral bandwidth that you pick up, like best case, like 400 to 700 nanometers, and maybe a little bit on the outsides of that. We have all of the onboard equipment to process a lot more of that. I don't know if you saw any of the stuff where the guys were, were using a chlorophyll derivative to give people night vision. So they made drops out of a chlorophyll, chlorophyll derivative and it gave them night vision. Um wow. and so yeah, so you you have the onboard chemical or the onboard mechanisms to process it, but you don't actually have the compounds that allow you to see in that range. And they also did a similar thing with retinol A derivative, and it gave them the other end of the spectrum. So they were seeing things like insects C, you know. And so again, we have all the onboard equipment. We just normally don't have The compounds that trigger that, which makes me think, you know, a lot of the people that see things in their field of perception that are different than what the average person sees, they may just have some, you know, genetic trait towards making a different compound that allows them to see a higher frequency band. Um, or they may have some experience that triggers that compound to be produced. And hence they go into a state where they can see, you know, auras in this thing or that thing. It's it's not biologically, it's not without precedent. And with regards to just you know the trees saying like oh well we we told them to do this yeah totally plausible you know it's it's some sort of different communication I mean if you look at the biomass of mushrooms you know there's that ginormous cluster of mushrooms when you look at the electrical impulses going across that if if you look at that and don't go damn that sure looks like a neural network you're kidding yourself I mean. It, and to think that we're the only thing that has the ability to process and have thoughts, that's just silly,
1: you know? Yeah, and sometimes it takes eating mushrooms to realize, <laughs> to realize that. <laughs> right. I, the last time I, I took mushrooms, I was out in a, in Yosemite, and I just, I had this experience where they were like my little buddies. They absolutely had this, consciousness though it sounds crazy now talking about it because you're like what how's a fungi you know alive or conscious but it it, and it there's no way to explain it unless you had the experience i think but it was this realization like oh these are our allies these little buggers you know in our environment are um part of our essentially like not even allies or friends or tools but more like brethren you know it was like Oh, we all come out of the ground uh, at the end of the day and we're related in that way. And there was this really neat experience of relating to them specifically in that way and going, oh, there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye, you know, that just yeah. can't that just can't be explained. Or you just did a pretty eloquent explanation of it fundamentally. But when you get into those altered states of consciousness and you're you're changing your tuning fork into those other dimensions, it's when you're in it, it's so real. And then when you come out of it, you're like, oh, that must've been a hallucination that I was sensing these, these energies or this communication with the plant world or animals or entities or whatever it is. But um, when you're in it, it's so visceral and so real. And I think for me, why it is real is because I come out of it. And even though I go back to this narrow bandwidth of awareness mm-hmm. and perception I'm still able to take what I learned or gained there and bring it into this narrow bandwidth of experience and use it. Right. Therefore, what was brought back from those dimensions is applicable and tangible here. Therefore, those other dimensions are as real as this dimension.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I view it like, um, you know, I used to swim a lot, and you know, if you're swimming for time, sometimes you'll hit a great time, right? You'll you'll have a number that's like, woo! You know, I did something amazing. You know you can do it. You know you can access that state. You're not generally able to access it, but with training and work, you can get to a point where you can access it. I, I don't know. Have you ever seen any of the studies about um, people who have had a corpus callosectomy, where they actually divide the brain? Mm-hmm. So the corpus callosum is the segment in the, the center of your two hemispheres, and due to you know sometimes accidents and sometimes uh, epileptic concerns, they would do a corpus callosectomy and some of the studies when the two hemispheres of even the brain and the same person weren't able to talk were amazing to me. There, there was one study where they would put um, they would tell someone that they were going to hold a spoon and they would put their hand, but they would do it with their, with their left hand. They would put their left hand uh, behind a curtain and they would give them a fork, even though they said it was going to be a spoon and they would say, you know, what are you holding? And the, the person would audibly say, Oh, I'm holding a spoon because that's what they were told, and their head would literally start shaking. No, left <laughs> and right, and they and the people would go, "Why is my head shaking?" Because they, they you know, they didn't know with the the verbal processing, you know, on the uh, the left hemisphere of their brain, you know, the, the the analytical component, they didn't know what was going on even in their own body. But the sensors, you know, they they were feeling it with the left hand. That oh, this is not what I'm being told. Is going on and so the only way it could communicate was through the body nonverbal but it was still a communication and their head would literally shake left and right and it, you know and admittedly i'm sure that freaked the heck out of a lot of people you know like oh, what's going on in my body well it's trying to communicate but it just goes to prove the point that there's a lot of communications that can't pass through the filter of linguistics right are things you have to feel and you have to perceive like if you if you go back to some of like the uh the old um Hindu texts, uh, like the Vedas, right, and then you look at some of the the more detailed things. Like the, there's a book called the Shiva Sutras, and the Shiva Sutras it goes through kind of like a, a breakdown of how is a human created, right, and it, in in terms of the stratification, the concept of emotion falls before the concept of intellect, so. Intellect is a construct that's built on top of emotions. So there will be times, according to their methodology, where you can feel something but you have no words for it. You know, you cannot put it into words, and and that's that's an experience that we've all had. Like everybody's felt that, right? You know, like feel the most love you've ever felt for another creature and describe it perfectly in words. Well, you can't. You know, it doesn't mean the experience is any less real or tangible or palpable to you. It just means that there's not a linguistic construct that's going to accurately hold that, you know, and I think that's where things get lost. And the same thing applies to the sciences all the time. There are things that we see and that we feel that people are afraid to pull the thread, you know, um, whether it be because they're going to lose funding or the university doesn't want to back it or their company is going to be upset because they might make their own products obsolete. There's <laughs> there's all sorts of reasons, you know. I, I used to think that if you build a better mousetrap, if you're really inventive and you really try and push and and bring the things that are necessary for humanity to really move it forward that, you know, the world will beat the path to your door. Unfortunately, not the case. You know, it was kind of a rude awakening when you, when you do actually in earnest, try and build the better mousetrap. The company that has the lame mousetrap really tries to make sure that they've buffered things in such a way that the lame mousetrap still has its market share, you know, and that's, you see that it's pervasive through all of our society. You know, I mean, if humanity would kind of check itself at the door and move with the Star Trek future instead of the sort of Star Wars future, you know, where we were all moving in accord, trying to do things for the betterment of humanity and expand our horizons and work together intellectually and, and appreciate one another culturally. I mean, that's God right now, that's super evident, you know. Um, things would be far better, you know. Um, and maybe, maybe it'll move that way, but I think it's going to take a little while.
1: I want to ask you. About why my dog is so awesome taking this C60 companion because I've you know I've always wanted to biohack my my dog and I and I have I, I yeah
0: I, you definitely have
1: I uh, one thing I did that was the I think the first most noticeable and impactful is I put her on deuterium depleted water mm-hmm. she probably I adopted her when she was like three she's probably eating you know, just straight like. Full on carbohydrate GMO <laughs> deuterium solid deuterium dog food hundred and fifty so, parts per
0: million yeah, yeah. so
1: um, I just I started giving her like the eighty five ppm water exclusively and I yeah. did that for about three months and I got she had all these hot spots and was always itching and biting herself and just tons of inflammation and um and I didn't and this was when we were as living under the cell towers too uh, so it could have had something to do with that but while still living there I got her on that water and just completely knocked all that out know it's like yes
0: again it's you know the ddw functions by uh literally allowing the little nano rotors inside your mitochondria to spool i mean they they roll at nine thousand rpms they're little micro machines or nano machines um inside the mitochondria and when you eliminate that extra weight load they just function more effectively so your atp levels go up your ability to process and deal with sickness goes up um yeah i'm a I'm a huge fan of DDW. Actually, I think it's a I think it's a great thing.
1: So aside from that, the only real major intervention I've done is I've started to give uh, her cookie. Was she? Oh, she's not in her. Usually, she's sitting on the guest's lap. She must have got locked out. <laughs> she's kind of my my co-host. Uh, but I started giving her this, and she wasn't having any problems. You know, after that, the skin thing that I could quantify, but um, and she's relatively young, so she's pretty energetic, but. She is on really good, you know, dehydrated raw food and like everything super chronic. But when I got her on this C60, her energy levels are off the freaking charts now. It's it's true, man. But it it happens
0: with us too. I mean, you know, at large scale, it works with people. We actually, when we first launched um, and actually started selling things in 2017, we just did the pet product first. And because we thought it was going to be a much easier barrier to entry, there'd be less regulatory issues and things like that. And uh, so, literally a couple of weeks after we launched, we had all these people calling and ordering, and and I got one of the people on the phone, and I was talking to him, and I said, "Okay, so what you know, what animal are you giving it to? Are you giving it to dogs, horses, what?" what? Animal, what are you talking about? I'm taking it. And it turned out with a lot of people that they would see the effects on their dogs. And then, you know, they wanted that effect. So they would start taking it like lame dog gets up and starts running after a couple of weeks. And, you know, people wanted that same effect and they got it too. It's the, the actual patent for that is um, it's for mammals. Like if you read the title of the patent, it's uh, cellular enhancements um, for mammals. So cellular enhancements and biological systems through the use of lipofluorine peptide combinations, I think. And it's all it's all mammalian enhancement, you know. And I and and actually and I know it works on other critters as well, not just Kingdom Animalia, but you know, um, you know, Insectivora as well. So you can, you know, you can definitely make positive changes across the whole host of species. Cause it, one of the things I I hope at some point somebody starts tinkering with that and doing more for bees and other insects that need protection
1: against the EMFs and things like that. Oh, interesting. Damn, yeah. I know the bee population. It's, dude, it's the funniest thing happened a couple of days ago. I got in, I, I realized a bunch of my old website emails were going to spam. And so I went through and had like 367 old emails from the past six months that had been ignored, like inquiries to my website. And so I'm like going through them one by one because no one else can do that. Uh, <laughs> at this point, and one of them was from this p r company who reached out to me as a health influencer and uh and wanted me to uh promote five g <laughs> 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 and wanted to pay me money to say, oh, let's get 5G going, you know. And I'm it's just hilarious, man, because I'm like, obviously, you didn't do your due diligence. I've done like so many podcasts just about 5G with Jack Cruz and all these people. And uh, <laughs> but I, but I thought, you know, I thought about it, not thought about doing it, but thought about what my response would be without being a dick. They're just doing their job, right. least, You know, this girl probably has no idea that it's bad for you, and and I, you know. Not being too snarky, I I answered the email and I said I wanted to say you know you're on the wrong side of history, dear Charlotte. You're going to die. <laughs> yeah, you're going to hell. <laughs> just so you know. But I I just I said you know thanks for the opportunity, but I am just absolutely opposed to uh, the rollout of five G. And I said aside from the detriments to human biology and all animals, I said. Please do some research on the effects on the bee population because oh, it's a bee population bad. continues to be decimated by glyphosate and from um r f uh we're done <laughs> like, that's how we make food that's you know, actually so that was kind of my answer, just like please just research the bee thing because that's like at the end of this whole e m f thing that's where you you end up like that's where the collapse really happens I think personally
0: you know i I was um Hanging out and having lunch with uh, a fellow named Bob Curl, who's one of the one of the guys that got the Nobel Prize for uh, discovering C sixty, and he's like the super genuine, really nice professor emeritus at Rice, and he's just like a sweet human. And we were talking, and that actually, I think of all the things that we discussed, that seemed to pique his curiosity more than anything else was when we started discussing EMF and bees and the effects on bees, um, because I think really sharp guys like that um they realize that you know as einstein did too um you take out it's the cosmic trigger is the effect my dad used to always say you know it's like oh watch out you've you've already pulled the cosmic trigger unknowingly and unwittingly we do something that starts a chain of events that we can't recover from and it wasn't the intended consequence but it just dysregulates the entire system because people i I think very Frequently, we forget that we're just one little cog in a much larger organism. You know, whether you want to like take kind of the Gaia hypothesis or whatever, but it's uh, we are a small thing in a very big system. That's actually it's one of the hypotheses I have about the the viral stuff that's going on right now with COVID. Is that it's more of a it's a larger organism than people think of. Right? People think of it as oh well, it's not even alive. Mm, Yeah, maybe. In the in the classical sense of thinking of something as alive, but if you look at all of the people who are infected as maybe nodes on a mesh network, right? Um, then you get all these points of inference, and something that was perhaps more like a superorganism on a much larger scale could actually get data points from something like that, right? Because uh, if if a virus say takes over mitochondria and replicates there, the first thing with any sort of spread is kind of like I had mentioned quorum signaling with bacteria, you you take over communications, right? So how do mitochondria communicate? Pulses of light. How would that virus potentially communicate? Well, very, very plausibly, pulses of light. And pulses of light aren't something that stop when you leave, you know, the proximity to that organism. Um, They could be picked up from other organisms in close vicinity to it, which sounds, again, you know, kind of, it sounds a little odd, but if you think about an ant trying to assess an elephant, the scale is wrong, right? You look at it and go, God, well, it's got this slight curve directly above me. And I think we're having the same problem assessing larger organisms, right? I I think there's a consciousness that's associated with most things. And to think that there's not is just to put your head in the sand. And so it's gonna it's going to be difficult. I don't know that, you know, overall people would be willing to accept that as an idea and it may or may not be the case, but hypothetically I could see some precedent for it. And, uh, I I just think that it, it's akin to us looking at systems, not realizing they're connected in ways that they are connected. And again, that cosmic trigger idea of, you know, you, you set something into motion because you don't realize that you're part of a much larger system. I mean, the planet, perhaps could just be weeding us out in a way that it does every so often I mean if you look at pandemic curves they're they're pretty normalized you know it's there's a small wave and then a big wave and then a slightly smaller big wave and that's happened pretty consistently for hundreds of years in most pandemics is that just random chance no is it perhaps just because of the way things bi- biologically grow and propagate yeah, possibly but it to me it it seems, to smack of a much, much more in-depth sense of order. And usually if I look at something and I have the option of going, oh, it's random and stupid and I'm not going to pay attention to it, or go, you know, there might be something there. I may just not really understand what it is yet. I'm generally inclined to pull the thread, you know, and and I'm I'm wrong a lot, you know, and I should say that, you know, the guys <laughs> that, well, the guys in the lab, you know, think that I I just pull stuff off that's really cool all the time. And the reality is it's not the case. I, you know, it's kind of almost like the tech approach of fail fast, fail often. I try a lot of stuff. And then in some cases, I have an intuition about how things probably function and I will work backwards to prove it. Uh, wh- one of those was our, our patent for uh, anti-metastatics and works like a champ. Um, and in the data that we've gotten dogs has been great so
1: far meaning preventing tumors from growing.
0: (laughs) well not not so much growing because once they're in in location in situ at at their particular spot they can actually grow but spreading right entirely keeping them from spreading and i will say definitively that yeah we can keep them from spreading like i have not seen anything that would make me think there's any chance of spread metastatic spread after the fact Um, if something's already there yeah it can it can get a little blood flow and You know, develop vascularity and actually grow in in situ, but um, it's not going to spread. And there are are a whole host of mechanisms that, you know, uh, I use to actually stop that, dropping cytokines, because not shockingly, cancer co-ops your body's immune system and uses it to signal for spread. And it uses interleukin 6 and interleukin 8. So if you suppress IL 6 and IL 8 while simultaneously, upregulating mitochondrial function, you hit two of the major mechanisms that cancer needs, right? It it doesn't want to kill the cell. It wants to debilitate the cell, drop its energy level so it can propagate, shunt uh, the electron transport chain and force everything into glycolysis. So it continues to use that energy from the sugars to grow in lieu of allowing Mm -hmm. your cells to be healthy. So, you know, you block it off and you get two moles of ATP instead of the, the 34 that happen after you move from glycolysis to the electron transport chain. And anyway, so that, that, that kind of mechanism, when we started looking at how, how cancer is spreading, it's, it's very ordered and it's very well thought out. I mean, in terms of a, an approach, it's very well developed. You know, I mean, granted, it's had, you know, who knows how many millions of years to develop like that. But if you want to block something like that, um, you have to think through the problem and pull the thread. And there was a there was a point when we were doing that where I got some data back from one of the tests with a pathology lab at a university that we were working with. And they said, "No, this this doesn't work." And I knew that it worked. I could feel it, and just in my bones, I intrinsically was I was so committed to the idea. And so we pushed past the cellular data and went into an animal model, and it worked like a champ. But it was it was that you know kind of that in, intuition of having to say, okay, sometimes you have an intuition and you know that something's going to work. So you see it through a lot of times, again, a lot of times they are just wrong, but sometimes, you know, I'll I'll have that knowing of like, this is how this is functioning, work it out. And so I, you know, run down that very path, but again, you have to be willing to go, I'm going to look stupid a lot of
1: the time and that's okay. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, if you, if you win, you know, one out of 10 of those, one yeah, out of 20 man. of them, it's a big win. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. Especially right. talking about something like cancer that, you know, no one seems to have been able to crack the code on really up until yeah. very recently, little progress is being made. Uh, let me see where I want to go with this here. Cause there's, Oh, I know what we've got to cover and we, I got to check on the Let me check on the time here real quick. So I know we both have to be somewhere. Okay. Three. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's getting close. Are we to the running to the witching hour? It's getting it's getting down to the wire. Um, we both turn into pumpkins. We're gonna have to do. it how long are you out here? We're gonna have to do another one. <laughs> I, I literally, I'm here through next Tuesday. So okay. yeah, I man. mean, I might not even be kidding because uh, there's a lot of shit I wanted to ask you about. But I, I think we can probably uh, we can close this one out with the hair loss formula that you made. <laughs> and i know it worked for you and i haven't been as diligent i i need to you know have a calendar and like the number of days and like really stick to it i've used it here and there so i don't and i didn't take before and after pictures um, but i'm doing the little micro roller yeah derma roller and red light derma roller okay yeah, and, derma roller uh, and, and red light therapy i'm putting this serum on and then i'm putting that dmso you know solution afterward which doesn't bother my skin i'm i'm very tolerant to DM, dmso luckily uh, but It seems like it's gonna work if I stick with it. So Yeah, it will. It's how the hell did you come up with that? Because you'd think that if someone cracked this, they would just <laughs> drop everything, and be like, "I cured male pattern baldness." <laughs> I mean, like that would be like Nobel Prize worthy, and you'd have like huge website and be promoted. And...
0: You know, you know what's weird about that is I was doing a lecture, like uh, I guess it's been three years ago now, and I was talking about the developments on the anti metastatic, and I was really jazzed because that I thought would make a big dent, right? Like, can help a lot of people, and I mentioned. You know the the hair growth, and I think I put up one slide um, just talking about the hair growth, and then at the at the end of the lecture, you know, everybody rushed up to the stage, and I thought, ah, you know, ah, they're going to be asking about the cancer. Literally a hundred percent asked about hair growth, and I thought, well, okay, fair enough. And so I I literally just did it for myself because I understood the mechanism. And my daughter came in one day and said, Dad, your hairline's receding, and. That day, I went to the lab and thought, yeah, that's not happening. So I just whipped up what I knew would fix it, used it, fixed it, put it back on a shelf, and didn't touch it for years because that's not what I was working on. And, and admittedly, that seems in retrospect maybe kind of stupid because, you know, if I could probably fund every bit of research I ever wanted to do if that got out more. And and maybe at some point it will. We're actually finalizing the patent on it now. It's been in process for a little over a year. And generally with patents, you know, like you submit a patent, about a year later it comes back and they they rebuff some points in it and say like, "Oh, you know, you can't do it because of this and you have to explain why," which is what we did a couple months ago with the office action that we received. So, I'm sure it'll be coming out of the shoot here soon and then it'll be formally patented um as opposed to just you know being pending at this point but it was it was honestly it was really straightforward right so you you've got antigen telogen, and catagen phases in the growth cycle and my thought was hair wants to do what hair wants to do right hair follicles have a job it's to make hair so if they're inflamed that's going to inhibit them. If they don't have enough energy, that's going to inhibit them. And granted, there's there's a lot of chemistry around, you know, conversions from dihydrotestosterone and and a bunch of that stuff. But that's all kind of, I always joke about, you know, like a boat passes and the wake comes by and people are like, oh, oh my God, these waves, we've got to stop these waves. Focus on how to stop the waves. Why don't you just have the boat go a different direction? You know, it's the, again, you know, uh, for every thousand hacking at the leaves of evil, there's one hacking at the root be that dude. Right. So I thought the problem was the depletion and energy and, and an inflammatory response in the follicular cells. So I just eliminated that. And the reason I used the DMSO was because there's not a tremendous amount of blood flow up there. So I wanted something that would actually take those components and shuttle them in transdermally really rapidly into all the follicular cells. And, you know, and it worked and it, it, it was pretty simple. It works a whole lot better if you use the dermal roller because it's kind of like, um, I don't know if you've seen like the the PRP therapy, they do like a vampire facelift and yeah, stuff like I've that. Yeah, I've had that. Yeah. Okay. Those things are fantastic. I mean, that works like a champ. I don't know what your experience was, but one of the one of the women that works in our lab, she's done a bunch of those and they are unbelievably impressive to me. Um, personally, I think I would try and tweak a couple of things to maybe amp it up a little bit because there's some room for improvement, but it just didn't. In comparison to like the normal course of events very impressive so when you use the dermal roller it in kind is doing the same sort of thing it's you know doing like little micro perforations across the surface because you're using like a 0.25 mm um, roller right so the little bitty needles Uh, and then you just you allow that to kind of um basically you're irrigating you know you're irrigating the bed of follicular cells and then you use the dmso it punches in moves into the cells everything shifts in the mitochondria, drops the inflammatory responses out and lo and behold, hair starts growing. And what's interesting though is, is having done this you know, for a couple of years now uh, is it grows back uh, in retrograde from the way it went out, right? So like if it left on the front, it doesn't grow back on the front first. It grows from the place where it was and it starts moving forward. That's why I always tell everybody to you know, take pictures is because it's like watching paint dry, right? You know, you, you get little little bits of growth moving from the back, moving forward. And uh, and it, it just works. I I actually wasn't going to commercialize it, but I was talking to uh, Dave Asprey and I had mentioned that and he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what? All
1: right?
0: Yeah. And he was like, roll that back a second. You did what? And I, and I told him, and he was like, do you have any of it? I was like, yeah, it's, it's on the shelf in the lab. And, and so I I sent him some and I, I literally, I marked the package, <laughs> super secret ninja hair formula and then put, Probably not final trade name <laughs> you know and he he used it and it worked for him and that's like he was a, a big proponent of it, um, and, it and I use it for myself and it works but there's there's other things that you can do like the derma rolling, the red light PRP I'm a huge fan of just because it's concentrated growth factors right so if you can do that and most people granted probably don't have access to do that but I don't, if you look at the um, the photos of P- people that have had PRP therapy on their hair, it's fantastic. You know, I mean, it'd be just like doing stem cells in the same spot. So yeah, it's, uh, it's good stuff. It's it's and super simple.
1: How does the, uh, in the protocol, you do the derma roller, you put the, the stuff on, then you put the activator on, then you do the red light <laughs> while it's on your head. Yeah, and, you and do. what does the red light do to potentiate that process?
0: So, okay. So you, you drop out the inflammatory response, the C60 moves into the mitochondria and it's buffering oxidative stress. So you're producing more ATP and the cells getting healthier. The red light at 670 ish nanometers uh, hits cytochrome inside the cell so it's you're you're basically you're oscillating uh, in a, a nitrogen uh, or nitrous oxide atom off and you're replacing it with an with an oxygen so you're you're basically mechanically stimulating the cells you're photonically stimulating the cell cycle so you're you're using additive energy from the outside and forcing the cell to move through cellular respiration so it's just it's it's literally that you're pulling energy from light and you're advancing the cell cycle. So it speeds up the pace. Now, one thing I will caution you though, is like you, you can't do it. Red light therapy is generally thought of as like a Janus mediator from the the Greek God with two faces, right? Because there's a, a biphasic dose response curve, which is the, you know, the fancy science way of saying that it's, it's moving in, in kind of two different directions, right? So you can get one response up for about the first, you know, 10 to 13 days you enhance the cell cycle it gets better 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 but then it drops off and when it drops it drops to a point pretty precipitously that's generally lower than the initial point that you started at and so that's why i told you is you know what you what you do is you run it for a 10 day cycle take 7 days off then run it for another 10 day cycle then it becomes an additive function and you don't have to worry about that biphasic drop so it's just and it, and it paces it up i mean I, i'll show you some pictures of some of the guys that have done it like that and it, It's pretty jazzy.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I do have my vanity. you know. (laughs) Hey, man. You know, I mean, anybody who thinks that, you know,
0: that isn't a factor is kidding themselves. Yeah. It's
1: just, it's funny when you think about like that, you know, you're not your body in the first place, let alone different parts of your body. But still, it's like you walk around in it. It's hard to remember that and not have some sort of.
0: I I personally like it. It's like having a great car. I mean, I yeah. I very much like having having a functioning body.
1: And yeah, and also I think just I think we share that if something's broken, it's not meant to be broken. How do you fix it? And so when you told me about that formula, I was like, "Well, yeah, like why can't I have hair like I did when I was 20?" Yeah. So, I'm going to get a calendar in my bathroom so that I can mark off the days and like actually keep track of it because that's where I kind of fell off. I was like, "Wait, how many days I do it? I better stop and I wasn't disciplined um, enough about it, but I'm encouraged now. And also, I've got one of the little portable Juve lights. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. A little handheld one. So it's super easy just to hang out watch TV and just, you know, blast my dome with... <laughs> I a, literally used when shoe. I was doing
0: it. I used a, a like a thirty-seven dollar grow light from am, Amazon. <laughs> it's like, ah, yeah, This is this is the, uh, the the effect of growing up as a poor kid, right? You're you're always like shooting for it. what is the cheap seats version, you know, like the right. san, the Sanford and Son approach to science.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs>
0: like, I can buy this, or I can get a thirty-seven dollar grow light. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you yeah. Know, so. Well, yeah. If you have the right spectrum of light, then you know the same difference, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the, granted, the 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 measure of intensity, the joules per centimeter squared, is a little different. Like a juve is actually better, but yeah. you know, I don't know that everybody has the uh, the pocketbook to get the effect. I think there are probably a whole lot whole lot of people who really want their hair back that don't want to spend you know six hundred bucks, but spend yeah. forty bucks a whole lot more palatable,
1: you know. Totally. Yeah. Well, dude. I had so many things on my list here that we didn't get to, but we covered a lot. And um, I think I'll just have to get you back and we'll just. My do it. pleasure, man. It would we'll be, do a, it would light, be great. a lightning round to just get your take <laughs> on, on a bunch of shit that I do. It'll and be one word answers. Yes. Yeah, no. Do it. Don't do it. Like it. Cantaloupe, don't like it. Uh, right? But I do have one closing question. Yeah. And that is who are three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life and your work that you might recommend our audience go check out? Ooh.
0: Uh, let's see. Definitely one of the, one of the biggies was, um, doing meditation. So, and I started out doing TM, right? So I did biofeedback therapy for a number of years when I was a little kid. And then that was kind of a precursor to doing meditation. And I've done that for 25 plus years now. And that, that was a, a big shift because I was, I was a smart kid, but when I started meditating, it was suddenly like the lights turned on things, made connections that had never made connections before. And it was expansive, um, so I would definitely tell you know anybody find whatever flavor of contemplative work or meditative work that fits you and do it. You know, just be silent. You know, whatever, whatever that modality is, because there are a lot of them. So for me personally, it was you know TM. Um, so Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was the the fellow behind TM. Uh, then other things that I think uh, are really handy. I, I've seen a lot of technologies, but the, the one I've been using for the past year was um, Dr. Morgland's Energy for Success stuff. That's legit. I mean, he has got that thing programmatically dialed in and it's, uh, it's very different. And I also appreciate the fact that you know Dr. B is like double board certified MD. And when we have discussions about this stuff, he does not sugarcoat it because I'll ask him a question. He'll flat out give me the answer and he'll take it from the physical to the biochemical, to the chemical, to the, you know, the quantum physics level and give me like the entire spectrum of answers, which for somebody that's geared the way I am is great because, you know, like I then go, oh, okay, got it. And, and I can move on as opposed to wanting to and like pull on that thing, so that's uh, energy for success is what he calls the company. Yeah,
1: and one of my f- he's been on the show, and I'll put the I'll put it in the show notes. I forget the episode number, but one of my favorite interviews of all time. It yeah. was like one of these, like two hours, just he's man, Doctor
0: B is he's great. We met uh, at the um, Bulletproof Conference. And he actually like plucked me out of the just walked up to me and said, You come with me. You're the person I'm really need. Wow. Yeah. And actually and like plucked me out. And and it, it was one of the best, best things I think that's probably ever happened to me because the stuff that he's teaching is uh again, it's programmatic, right? It's it's like science. You do the experiment, you get the result. And his is no different. You you put in the time, which is admittedly a bit of a bitch to do sometimes because you know, it's usually like 90 minutes a day of of physical practices and then breathing exercises and things like that. And, and that's a chunk, especially cause I run, I don't sleep a ton, which is probably not the best thing, but I, I really push a lot and to carve out, you know, a full 90 minutes every day is a lot, but <laughs> proof's in the pudding, man, the, uh, the effects are worth it. So if it makes you that much more efficient, it's worth doing. So that's definitely one. So I would say, you know, meditation and Dr. B's stuff, uh, third thing and this is a little bit odd when i was in my early 20s um i i was reading a lot and i was really inquisitive and i was trying to figure out what was going on i kind of felt like i was at a concert and i had lost um lost all reference to the highs and the lows i knew that there was a lot going on that i wasn't able to perceive and this is probably kind of what pushed me towards really working on meditation in general but I, it was it was a, a book called The Razor's Edge by W. Somerset mom. And it's it's not so much a teaching, but in terms of just uh, an idea about getting perspective on things. Like, life is fleeting. Appreciate it, you know? Um, try and make a difference and have a positive impact while you're here. And it's, you know, that's... Uh, my grandfather used to say, be good, do good, the rest will take care of itself. And that's just kind of... Uh, that book sort of epitomize that to me is you know it's actually it's one of the reasons i i left my job and i went kind of on a quest kind of akin to yours and you know went to a monastery and got used to silence so i could go off into the mountains and meditate my way to enlightenment so i you know it was this whole programmatic thing that i had worked out which never actually came to pass in, in the end you know i ended up living the uh, you know the standard kind of householder life and do, and doing my gig but as fate would have it shockingly uh seems like i've been able to get more of a response and be more of a benefit here than in a cave
1: so yeah so, it's a bitch i know <laughs> yeah you know
0: i yeah actually the cave would the cave would have been a whole hell of a lot easier i there's think there's
1: something about that renunciate path that definitely yeah, is man. The, the minimalist uh, approach to it but yeah i guess you have to find your dharma and that's it. And go after it. And for and some right it. for some it's coming back here and be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna trudge through this and try and uplift in the ways that I can.
0: Well, I mean, actually doing what you're doing is huge because you've created a forum for people to find those sorts of things. I mean, the the work yeah. that I do, it's at some point here in the near future it'll become mainstream. But for right now, it's it's reasonably fringe. But, you know, the people that listen to your show, um, they want to see the next thing, the cutting edge stuff you know, look at the science that isn't quite, you know, considered to be normal science yet. And I think it makes a big impact. And, you know, I mean, we're effectively kind of trying to do the same thing, move the needle where we are. And so those, those three things, I think, you know, the Dr. B's stuff, uh, TM and Somerset mom, those were three biggies for me. And then as an aside, John Gray, I think uh, like that cat is, he's super legit and um, you know, his, his uh, information about relationships, having read his books before, yeah, he's on point. Uh, anybody who wants to relate with uh, anyone romantically, do yourself a favor.
1: I <laughs> 100% Read some John Gray stuff. 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. He's a, one of my favorite guests. He's been on three times. I've learned so much from him. I and, have
0: heard every one of those, actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. And
1: it, it's funny because... uh uh, my girlfriend Allison, we met him in Park City. We went out for Dr. Harry Adelson's uh, uh, film launch out there, and a bunch of people in our field were there and whatnot. And so we got to go do a guided meditation with John. It was really cool, and that was her first time, I think, really encountering his his work or him. She really vibed his whole thing because he's all about love, you know, right. A long time meditator, but uh, she has no idea that I'm using his stuff constantly <laughs> in our relationship. I mean, she's like, "Dude, you're just a, such an amazing boyfriend. You really listen to me, and you're there for me." And I'm like, "I, you know, I really just like learned from him."
0: Man, it's like the babble fish of relationships, yeah. right? You know, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> you, know, like
0: you you mainline it, and suddenly you understand how to interact. Like,
1: oh, okay, yeah. this is what you meant. Uh. Yeah, and I've just you know I always give him so much credit because I I'm one that when I uh, encounter a teaching that rings true, I really do apply it. I mean, I, I, I don't know. If this is one thing I've been able to do through all these interviews is when something really sticks with me, I just go for it and I and I use it. And and John Gray's stuff, man, absolutely transformed um, my relating as well. You know, I mean, just the simple act of understanding the the fundamentals of uh, energetics of masculine, feminine, and the hormonal, you know, the endocrine systems of males and females, if you happen to be in a relationship that's uh, that, but it doesn't really matter. Even the gender, it's just more about the energetics of it. But just like the one single thing of just really being a compassionate, caring listener and just shutting up and not trying to solve my girlfriend's problems. Right. Unless she asks and gives (laughs) me permission, then I'm like, I know what to do. But just really, man, just being there and holding space and just not being you know, feeling um, threatened or getting all codependent and sucked into it and just really just being there and being objective and compassionate. And it's just, it's incredible what doing, how how much doing nothing actually does. That's just one little nugget. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of his teachings too. Um, Okay. Last thing, where can we find you Uh, online website, social media, any of that stuff?
0: Uh, C360health.com is the company's website. And then, uh, you know, that's probably the that's probably the first place to go to start pulling the thread, and, and I'm I'm pretty easily accessible. I mean, lots of people call and just you know go through the phone and get me on the horn and ask questions, and you know anytime I'm able to help, I'm happy to do it. So
1: cool, man. Well, yeah. thanks so much. I'm glad we got to sit down today and finally get this done. And, yeah, um, it was a pleasure. Yeah, we'll call it, and we'll we we'll definitely have to do it again because as I said, I have so much other shit I wanted yeah, to wrap we can, with you yeah, about.
0: Yeah, we definitely can do the lightning round. I'll bring yeah.
1: flashcards. It'll be <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks again for joining me. My pleasure. I hate to say I told you so, and I don't want to gloat about the epic nature of this conversation because really our guest, Ian Mitchell, deserves all the credit. But man, what a conversation, right? Uh, So much information given. Uh, My mind was blown, as I'm sure yours was. As I mentioned in the intro, if you want to check out some C60 products, I'm chugging this stuff on the daily. It's absolutely amazing. I also give it to my dog, haven't figured out how to give it to the cat yet but I'm working on that. Uh, Also about to start a round of the hair loss treatment. And so I'll let you know how that goes. I'm quite confident that it's going to be successful. But again, if you want to try some C60 stuff, go to c360health.com, enter the code LUKE05 at checkout and save 5% off your order. Uh, As always, when our guest represents a company, even though Ian is not the salesman at all, probably to a fault. (laughs) Ian, if you hear this, don't worry about being cheesy, man. Push your stuff. It's amazing. But uh, he was able to give us a discount, which is really cool. So again, that's c360health.com. Next week, we have a really fun episode on Tuesday. It's called Spiritually Sassy, How to Dance with Your Shadow and Free Yourself from Suffering with my friend Sa Simone. And that show (laughs) was so fun. I thought this show with Ian was fun and we were laughing our asses off. But dude, next week's show with Sa is just pure silly craziness. It's so fun. Uh, saws from originally from Brazil and uh, then New York and like myself escaped from the fashion industry and got into spirituality and uh, he's a fantastic guy he was on the show I don't remember what episode but a couple of years ago and uh, and he's in LA now so he came back on so that's next Tuesday make sure you subscribe to the lifestyleist podcast so you don't miss any episodes to follow let's thank our sponsors we've got some amazing, biohacker grade next level medicinal mushroom liquid extracts from life cycle that's l-i-f-e c-y-k-e-l lifecycle.com of course i have a discount code for you there it's it's uh what is it it's story 15 and that gets you guess what 15 percent off at lifecycle.com and we've got our friends over at sovereignty that's sovereignty.co slash luke And these guys have two products that I'm absolutely obsessed with. One of them wakes you up and helps you brain function, and one of them helps you chill out and go to sleep or relax, as the case may be. All kinds of Chinese medicinal herbs, they're fermented, they put CBD and crystals in there, and all kinds of wild stuff. So that's sovereignty.co slash Luke. And then last but not least, uh, the company that keeps my skin beautiful. Actually, my girlfriend, Allison uses this stuff too. It's called Osea and you can find it at oceamalibu.com slash the lifestylist. That's oseamalibu.com slash the lifestylist spelled O-S-E-A like O-C. And that's because they use all kinds of plant-based products from where? The sea. So of course I love it because I love water and I love our oceans. Osea makes some really high quality skincare products. They're absolutely fantastic. Very high vibe, conscious company, extremely happy to support them and have them support the show. So again, that's oseamalibu.com slash the lifestylist. And you're going to save 10 bucks off your first purchase of $50 or more by using that link. So I think that's it. I know that's a lot of links. I feel like at the end of every episode, I'm like, link, 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 (laughs) link. but that's where we do the business is at the end of the show so if you're a super fan and you're listening through to the end you know I love you and I appreciate you thank you for supporting the work that I'm doing here I'm absolutely thrilled to sit down and talk to people like Ian. he's become a friend and I don't know if any of these people would be friends with me if I didn't host this podcast (laughs) I'm weaseling my way into the lives of so many uh, brilliant and kind people who are doing great work in the world as is Ian and he's you know, sending me all kinds of different formula he's working on and he's really helping me out with some, with some health issues that I've been uh, going through for a couple of years as a result of the EMF exposure uh, that I went through, which I'm sure you're sick of hearing about. But anywho, uh, I think that's it for this episode. Again, uh, tune in on Tuesday for Saadi Simone. That's gonna be a really fun episode. And uh, my promise to you is that I'm gonna keep them coming I've got some great interviews lined up in the next couple months, and uh, I'm just really stoked to be doing what I'm doing, and it wouldn't be possible without ears like yours. So thank you. I'll be back in them on Tuesday.